Welcome to the podcast is dedicated to making you a faster cyclist, the Ask a Cycling Coach podcast presented by Trainer Road. I'm Coach Jonathan Lee with our head coach, Chad Zimmerman. Hey everybody. And our CEO, Nate Pearson. Hello. And we're going to answer more of those cycling and triathlon related questions today. You can submit them at trainerroad.com slash podcast. Uh, before we get into things, Chad, your hat's uh, very appropriate. We've got a lot of things to talk about because he's got the local racing organization's hat on there, Reno Wheelman. Um, we're going to talk about a bunch of uh, or a handful of things before we get into some questions that uh, whether it be corrections or whether it be uh, things that we've learned from racing last night, plenty of stuff. Uh, we'll share all that stuff. Uh, but first, Chad, uh, I think you wanted to talk about some of the end of ride sprints. Yeah, just just to wrap up something we talked about a couple weeks ago where someone was asking if it's beneficial to finish a ride with uh, hard efforts, sprint efforts. And I said, uh, certainly from a psycholo psychological perspective, knowing that you can muster a really high intensity, uh, meaningful sprint at the end of what would be an otherwise depleting ride. Mm. And and I didn't really have any physiological backup for it or any reasons why you would want to train that way. But I did come across uh, a, a study by Martin Jabala a while back that talked about how you finish a ride can, can set off a different signaling cascade in terms of adaptive uh, signals down at the genetic level. Mm -hmm. so, so for instance, if you do hard efforts at the beginning of a long ride and then you do a couple hours of endurance, all those uh, signaling, uh, all the signaling that was taking place, all the, the genes that switched on after the sprints is long gone. Whereas mm -hmm. if you finish that long ride with those sprints, those genes are switched on. So you can get a, sl a slightly different adaptive effect depending on how you close a ride. So then everyone who does like their long ride, a group ride, and it's kind of slow, and at the end they sprint, mm -hmm. Could that be counterproductive depending yeah, I, on what they're going for? I don't know. And I need to find the study itself and go over it. I don't know if it went into that aspect of it. Yeah. But if you're trying to, you know, cause an uptick in some sort of adaptive response and you, you, you want to be one of the guys who can punch at the end of a sprint or you just, you're working on your sprint and you want that signaling to be more prominent during your recovery mm -hmm. period after, after the ride, then maybe finish with those end of, end of ride sprints. Interesting. Kind of like a, a bonus if it's exactly what you're going for, mm -hmm. maybe. Huh. Interesting stuff. Uh, one thing I need to clarify on was last week when we were talking about wheel size, uh, we were talking about the 29 inch versus seven or versus 27 and a half and 700 versus 650 B respectively. And <clears throat> something that I mentioned was that the, the constraining diameter, when we're talking about tires and if they fit, that's your bead seat diameter. And that doesn't necessarily measure 29 inches. Uh, 29 inches is roughly what the outside of the tire would measure. So that bead seat diameter though, is the important thing that we're talking about. That's the constraining measurement. And that basically just means where your tire sits on the rim as in like the tire itself, where it butts up to the rim. So how, how big is that then on the 29? Well, that's just the thing. It's, it's the does have a specific measurement. However, that does still fluctuate within a small amount. Is that why some, um, some like combos are hard to seat and yeah. everyone swears at mm -hmm. them because like this, it's like a little bit too big or too small. Or yeah. Root. Or they too have, small. it could when be too, small. Oh, yeah, you're right, too yeah. to wrestle it on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, also a lot of what makes a tire harder to put on, I find is the, the height of the rim walls. So there's mm -hmm. like where you, cause your tire rests inside oh, those yeah. walls. Right. And some rim manufacturers make those walls a little taller. Just it seems. Mm -hmm. taller and yeah. All the difference. And it can make things pretty and tough. And the combo of tire <laughs> too. Yes. Yeah, it's totally. All, yeah. And I think we said this before, but putting your tire in the sun helps a ton. Mm -hmm. I used a hairdryer once. 
totally works. Save me. Yep. We bought a heat gun here. I haven't used it yet. That's probably overkill. Uh, you know, you just have to be careful with the heat gun. Like you have to understand they get really hot. You can melt but your tire. All winter, I use the heat gun in my garage to put on tires. And it's amazing. You can, in many cases, uh, tires that have been like really difficult to mount and I need like a compressor and I need the stars to align. Yeah. If I heat gun the thing, I can put it on with a, with a floor pump and it's no problem. Yeah. So it's it making that tire much more pliable and soft can really help. What's your um, technique then? to uh to like warm up the tire yeah so i never stay in a single spot and then i just work my way around in circles it's also a good opportunity for you to do some like shoulder exercises but you just kind of i put the tire down on the ground and then i just and i don't do it in the house you don't want to do it on any surfaces you care about right but and then i just continually move around until that tire gets hot to touch like when you touch it it feels too hot for a bit and then by that time it'll probably cool off just enough by the time you get the wheel there and in place that you can put it on and it'll really be good Cool. So yeah, good it's tip. a good help. Heat guns are cheap too. They're really cheap. I think that I got the one that the one that I got on Amazon was like thirteen bucks. It was like wow. really cheap. Hopefully, it doesn't burn my house down or something for being that cheap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, unplug it when you're yes. not using it. Exactly, uh, Nate. Then you also had. Yeah, I said I was talking about the coffee that's like the best coffee you've had, mm -hmm. and I called them third world coffee shops. <laughs> it's called third wave. Yeah, too. Third yeah, wave yeah, coffee yeah, shops. Sure. Yeah. Um, maybe third the third way. world ones are even better. Yeah. Like, who knows? Yeah. I, I, at first, I almost thought you were talking about a local coffee shop called Old World Coffee that we have that's really yeah, famous. Yeah, that's maybe why I got it. Yeah, I yeah, that might have been why. It might be because yeah. I'm dumb. <laughs> no, hardly. <laughs> um, and then a lot of folks are sending in questions this week uh, that are from down under uh, in Australia or in New Zealand or in Chile or in Brazil, Southern Hemisphere, basically, uh, that y'all are going into your fall and your off season, so to speak. So we just wanted to, rather than addressing, you know, individual questions and, and making a whole episode about that, it's something that we t we've talked about quite a lot. However, we totally get that, you know, this sort of thing merits, you know, readdressing all the time. Uh, so off season training, we're going to talk a little bit about that. And we kind of boiled it down to like two main things that you'll want to, that you, you'll want to consider big considerations. Yeah. Basically what you'll want to do with that time, because you can look at the off season is like, uh, man, if you've raced a ton and you're psychologically spent mm -hmm. and you're everything else, maybe just some time off is okay and it's good for you. Um, but if you are looking at that off season and you're, and you're, you're eager to still make some improvements, maybe take some time away from the typical routine, but still make some improvements, mm -hmm. you can still do some more stuff, right, Chad? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it addressing strengths and weaknesses probably applies a bit more to a multi-sport athlete than mm -hmm. a cyclist because mm -hmm. a, a cyclist who has a weak sprint isn't going to spend his off season working on the sprint mm -hmm. necessarily. I mean, that's not the sort of power you train that far out from your events. Mm -hmm. Whereas a multi-sport triathlete who maybe needs to focus more on the bike or on the run or on the swim, whatever, can shift emphasis to that particular discipline and simply maintain the other two. It's yeah. almost always swim. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> right. For sure. Yeah. Yep. And, and that makes, that makes good sense in a lot of ways too, because that's the least impactful on the body. It's, it's the easiest one to, it's really hard to overdo swimming. I mean, it's yeah. In, and, in terms of cycling and strengths and weaknesses, I think one weakness that's not necessarily fitness related, but, um, bike handling is something that you can really work on. Yeah, Why are you sure. looking and, at me? No, because, <laughs> and I'm looking at you because you've mentioned you've how good that, cross though. has been for you. Yeah. yeah. And cross happens in the fall, typically, yep. you know, the off season. Um, so I was just, I was basically giving you a T-ball pitch for that one. So then you'd be able to, to hit that one out of the park, but you focused on your weakness being bike handling with cyclocross and you said it helped, right? Yep. It's still my weakness, but it is a, a less of a weakness. You're pedaling through turns quite well in the crit yesterday. So yeah, it's uh, pretty good. That one. We'll talk about that in a little bit. <laughs> Ad nauseum. Yeah, we, yeah, we definitely that. will. So that's one thing. You can work on your your, your bike handling skills. Mm -hmm. 
you could even take this time in the off season to like, if you're really competitive and really focused on things and you feel like, you know, mentally you're being held back. I've worked with a, with a, with a mental coach before, and it's been really helpful. Mm. Uh, that was in my motocross days. Uh, maybe you spend some time where you're focusing on that. I just picture his uh, therapist being his mental coach. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're yeah, not my yeah. therapist. You're my mental coach. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was, it was a therapist. That's for sure. Um, psychologist, sports psychologist. So it can be really helpful too. Like basically I think it's a good time to sit back, take inventory, see what you can improve. And like Chad said, mm -hmm. if you're in terms of fitness, there are definitely, you know, a number of different things that you can, you can take care of. But yeah. And then in terms of the duration of your off season and, and talking more about a tra uh, transition period, mm -hmm. you know, whether you're going to spend some time off the bike or you're just going to tone things way down. Um, base that on a few factors. One is how hard your season is, how, how run down you feel coming into this transition period is going to dictate just how long you need away from the bike or away from structured training. Uh, it doesn't mean you have to stop riding. I mean, plenty of people just shift, uh, you know, roadies start doing some mountain bike rides. Maybe they uh, don't even, I don't think they remove the power meter if they have one, but you know, the power is not a concern whatsoever. They right. just go out and ride for the pleasure of it. And that, and that could be enough, enough distance on um, what you're used to and what's kind of running you down and it could be sufficient. Other people want to spend time entirely away from sport mm -hmm. and take time off. But the concern there is, you know, how much fitness are you going to lose in the process, which is less of a concern when, when your training age is higher. So you've been doing this for, in my case, mm. going on 30 years, it's a lot easier for me to get back into a high level of fitness than someone who's been doing it for two or three years. Mm -hmm. So that is absolutely a concern. And then of course you have to consider, you know, how many seasons are you packing into a year? Are you going straight from mountain bike to road to cross and then back to, in which case you really can never get too far from, or you don't want to get too far from a reasonably high level of fitness. Yeah. And some people on ter in terms of the training side, maybe they just really want to do like sweet spot work, or maybe they just really want to do a certain type of work that they find motivation and enjoyable sure. and they haven't done. And that's totally okay. Mm -hmm. um, totally okay. Like, I think that if you take that approach, you just have to keep in mind, like make sure that you're getting a, a, any benefit that you feel like you need from getting a reset, so to speak, whatever that may be. And sweet spot. Don't knock sweet spot. I've got no. The, the fittest I was was when I would just do fit sweet don't, spot. Don't because you can There's, do so much of it. Yeah. You don't get tired. That's a great way to build a road yeah. base. I mean, mm -hmm. it's at the higher end of things, so you can't do quite as much of it. And mm -hmm. it does take a bigger toll. And it, it's harder, plain and simple. Mm -hmm. But it can, I mean, it just pushes that lactate threshold up, 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 You can up. still do a lot of it though. And it hurts a lot less than mm -hmm. totally VO2 max. Work. Yeah. VO2 max or, like. or threshold work. Yeah. 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 It's a great option. So hopefully that gives you some, some guidance there on the off season. A lot of people have asked like, how do I, how many days do I cut away from my typical training schedule? Like, or how should I reduce it? Everything else. Mm -hmm. Really a lot of that, you're going to have to figure out what the best is uh, for you personally. You'll have to see number one, set priorities, basically say, what do I want to get out of an off season? And then based off of those, the, those priorities that you have and the things that you're going for with your off season, that's how you can make adjustments. As we always say though, don't risk putting yourself in too much of a hole because it's always harder to get yourself out of a hole than it is, you know, something else. So if you're crazy ambitious, but something that voice in your head is saying that maybe you shouldn't just treat your off season as like a really hard training block. Yeah. Maybe you should take, you got to come into your training season and your competitive seasons refreshed and, and motivated. Mm -hmm. If you don't have that, you're starting from a really difficult place. Mm -hmm. And I know you guys give me poo poo about this, but <laughs> I, I really think if I didn't do those two training camps, I would have been fine. Like, we talk uh -oh. about, you always said, said, I did too much. We've talked about the podcast a lot. Oh, I, I did. Those are what led to illness. Exactly. It, 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 yep. Just doubling the TSS. Oh, I believe that. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't too much. argue that. Huge spikes. Yep. Yeah, those are, yeah. So it's like a, 
Yeah, you can find yourself in a hole and it's tough to get yeah, yeah. out of it. <laughs> and it's not, I mean, it's just not the training. It's one of those big events that you do. I didn't mm-hmm. plan for it well enough ahead of time mm-hmm. or afterwards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and another thing too, that uh, another common question that we've been getting recently is how to incorporate outdoor rides into your training plan. Uh, we just spent last week talking uh, for a good amount of time. And you can see the live stream about some exciting new features that we released with trainer road that we call performance analytics, where you can analyze your outdoor rides on trainer road. Um, and I guess that basically we'll, we can just cover the basics. Really, uh, it's common to substitute an outdoor ride in for a scheduled ride that you may have. Uh, once the thing that I usually say is if you want the most precise effect that or desired effect that's prescribed by your training plan, then you follow the training plan to a T. Uh, but that said, there are certain things that you can glean from those outside rides that you can't glean, uh, or, and I should say productive outside rides. I mean, like races, group rides, those sort of things, uh, that you can't glean from others. So. Uh, you can replace it. And then we've always usually, you know, I encourage people to keep in mind the training stress that you're getting from this sort of workout in terms of the number, but then also the type of work that you're doing and see, you might have to make some adjustments, dial back the following week. If you went a little too hard during that group ride or, uh, something else like that, but it makes it a whole lot easier now with those features, you can actually see the training stress. So, um, on the website or the app, you Mm -hmm. can click a button on your plan and you can assign the outside ride to your training plan. So you get credit for it. Not a lot of people, not enough people know about too. Yeah. Yeah. Now they do. (laughs) Hopefully you can. Yeah. So you can assign those as an outdoor ride and they're all in trainer road now. It's pretty handy. So, um, another thing I wanted to mention too, we got a few, uh, questions that I just wanted to cover. And some people were like, Hey, uh, I was looking at, I like love these new features, but I'm looking at my best all time, best power stuff. And I have a sprint that's like 4,068 Watts. And it was from a, a power meter that was poorly calibrated or something like that. And you can actually go in and remove that ride from your personal record history right now with trainer road. You just go to the ride and you click on those three dots and then you can re- just, there are check boxes that come up there when you edit that ride so to speak, and you can just remove it from personal records. So it's an easy fix uh, for anybody looking for that. Uh, with that, I think that we should get into the criterion we did last night. We raced right last night. Yeah. USAC race. Yes. Mm-hmm. Which locally. So, um, as a precursor to this, we have a local race series. It's a weekly race series that happens, uh, tons of fun, good races, uh, but they haven't been USAC sanctioned in probably five years. It's been a long time. No, more than that. Yeah. More than, that. More than 10. Than yeah. Wow. Much Maybe more than 11, actually. I don't remember the last time they were USAC sanctioned. Yeah. And Chad's super old. So <laughs> he just said he's been doing it for 30 years. Been the block a few times. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's been here for 30 years and he right. can't remember. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's been a long time. Um, but we've got, proud of my <laughs> as you should be <laughs> um but you've got now we've got sanctioning on these races so uh, where we're at we're in a town called reno nevada or a city called reno nevada and that's about an hour and a half to two hours from sacramento and in the sacramento valley and the bay area is where the majority of our sanctioned racing goes on in our region yeah, our easiest get would be auburn which is about an hour and a half away Yeah. And they don't have many races in Auburn. I think it's one or two a year. Right. So for us to, to get over the hill and get to get USAC points, it ends up being a pretty substantial investment in time and even in money, because, Mm -hmm. you know, you spend Mm -hmm. gas going across the hill. Then if you're like an early category or like a low category, or I should say like a cat five, cat four beginner category stuff, you race at like 7 AM. So you can't feasibly like get Probably in a solid preparation. An overnight stay, mm-hmm. which is ratchets up the cost pretty substantially. It's just hard. A lot of places have this, so mm-hmm. we're lucky. Uh-huh. Yeah. And now we have it here, uh, at least in some of our races, they're USAC sanctioned and they're paying points. So you, typically it's just ABC, not sanctioned.
sanctioned. And I usually race in the A's. Chad races in the A's. Nate, you're an A racer too, at least in terms now. of yeah. Now, now, now I am. Sure. I was yeah. a B racer. Yeah. So, and then uh, that's usually how it works out. C being beginner, A being the expert guys. But last night it was a little different because we had the sanctioning. So the C's were five, four, three. No, four, five. Four, four five. five. And then the B's were three, four, five. Yep. And then the A's were one, two, three. Yeah. And uh, I was thinking, just so everyone doesn't get confused, we should, on the rest of this podcast, just can talk about it as the four, five race, the three, four, five race, and the one, sure. two, three, because everyone's familiar with that. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. But the beauty of that is not only do we have some uh, neighborhood or backyard USAC sanctioned races, but those overlapping categories allow racers who are really trying to get points and get race starts mm -hmm. to accumulate uh, a couple races or, you know, to, to double up. Which is why awesome. Jonathan and I re-raced both the four, five and the three, four, five race. Yes, we did. And Chad's too high of a category. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah, so I, I, I'm a two, so all I can do is a one, two, three. Yeah. And Jonathan, you were four, mm -hmm. um, so he's a one in mountain biking. And yeah. Actually, even the race promoter before is like, we got some sandbaggers in here. <laughs> you're not sandbagging because you really like. I can't help it. Exactly. Yeah. Sandbag. Yeah. It's, oh, it's, we should clarify that term. We should. Because that drives me nuts, and people call people sandbaggers. It, if if a person voluntarily races lower than they should be, then that's sandbagging. If they are not allowed to race in a different category than they are allowed to race, yeah. then they have no choice. It's not sandbagging. Yeah, For instance, if this was not a sanctioned race and Chad went down to the sea racers, yeah. that would be sandbagging. sandbagging. And everyone would yell at him and say, Chad, get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> and be rightfully and mm -hmm. rightfully so, right? Um, but in this case, you know, not not a sandbagger, but his, his point was that there are faster racers than what you would typically find in this group. Yeah. Um, and don't let any of these idiots cajole you into upgrading sooner than, oh, than yeah. is necessary and, and refer to you as a sandbagger just because you're achieving some certain level of success. It's yeah. okay to have some race wins and get a few more race wins before you're forced into that upgrade. That's a good point. It's the box of crabs theory, as they say down in Chile. What's so they say that basically is everyone climbs on top of each other to get success. And when one person gets over the wall, they all get angry and pull that person down, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like uh, everyone in that group, when you're when you join that group and you have one bit of success, then they're like, get out of here. They're angry. It's the at opposite. You, the right? crabs want to push you out. Yes. <laughs> get <laughs> out of here. Right. right. <laughs> it's like, but they get angry at you and they think that like you, you know, one time you're you having success. For the rest of us. Yeah. Get out of here. Yeah, exactly. And it's not, um, it's not like that. You have to learn how to, and the thing is a successful race win in one category may be very differently earned than it will be in another category. Yeah, I tell you, you, so. you go from fives to fours to threes and everything kind of flows pretty evenly and you can get little bits of success here and there and score some wins and some podium finishes, high placements. You get into that one, two category and say goodbye to all of that. Those, the, the wins, even little bits of success are going to be so few and far between. The tactics are entirely different too, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. which probably segs what... Segway into should we go through each race because we all raced each race and I think yeah. we learned let's not do a whole race report totally not. but let's do uh, the learnings from each one yeah take mm -hmm. yeah yeah so uh, in the first race that we did uh, we'll start with that one that's the that's the three four five race four five race <clears throat> four five race forgive me this is going to get tricky with all those numbers uh, four five race uh, we had about fifty people in that race I believe I think so it was yeah. A big field yeah. yeah good turnout for a local yeah. race it was great so fifty people in that field and I was worried. 
that, um, and, and I knew that my skill level in terms of the majority of those folks, I knew that it was higher. However, to there were, there there were fast a lot of, people. There were a lot of heavy hitters. So a lot of yeah. people who would normally race the A's who just haven't had the upgrade points. Yeah, you got guys with uh, maybe multi-sport backgrounds, but often enough mountain bike backgrounds mm -hmm. and, and really good mountain bikers at that. Very strong, fit athletes, very capable, but they don't have a USAC license or, or you know, maybe they just have a five because they've done a handful of races exactly. or they're yeah. doing one days. Yeah, so I, I, I was a little worried about the danger of riding with mixed abilities. So I didn't want to lollygag at all on the start, but then at the same time, I also wanted to make sure that I could pull the cream out of that or, you know, have the cream rise to the top, so to speak, by putting in a hard effort. So from the gun, there was a guy that we were, that we were riding with Jordan and he was riding, uh, Nate and I and Jordan, all three of us were riding together, so to speak. Yeah, and he like said, team. yeah, he said he was going to go hard from the gun. And so my point was, all right, let's go hard from the gun or I'll follow your move basically. And just before this, Jonathan told me, I'm not going to go hard from the gun. Well, as in <laughs> I, no, 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 I need to clarify that. I was not doing that on my own because my strategy wasn't to just go hard from the gun and see how it goes at the starting line. My strategy was to go hard with or follow Jordan's move, right? Because Jordan said he was just going to go hard. We got to the first turn. I looked back and Jordan wasn't anywhere. No, we so started. Point, I recommitted. <laughs> <laughs> okay, from the back, there was a huge, there was a group of us, 50 people. Yeah. The, the race director says, okay, take off. Jonathan sprints as hard as he can. Mountain he gets bike his, style. Yes, yeah, he gets yeah. his power PR for the entire both races. <laughs> and and I do an expletive so, yeah. because everyone, people are like, Jonathan, what? And people are groaning and stuff. Like, what is this person doing? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I expected Jordan to be right there on my side. He couldn't clip in. And he so, couldn't clip in. So once I saw that, I recommitted though. And that's one thing I want to talk about is, is uh, the best laid plans or whatever else. Yeah, that we're plans are is. always flexible. Yep. And, and usually useless. <laughs> and you have to, you have to be willing to recommit. And in that case, like I went right off the, the front like that, expecting to have somebody by me. He wasn't there. So suddenly I went, what do I do in this situation? And what I analyzed was the fact that I thought, well, the pack isn't really, they don't look like they're eagerly chasing. So I'm just, I can sit out here and I'm going to hang this out for a while to try to draw people up to me rather than sit back to the front. Mm -hmm. So what I would have, um, I think something you could have improved on is uh, since you knew Jordan was going to go, just what, let Jordan go ahead of you mm -hmm. and get in his draft mm -hmm. rather than, than take all that wind. And then if yeah. you were two up, you and Jordan, mm -hmm. it would have been even less work. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and I think that Definitely, that would have been the faster thing in re or the the better thing in retrospect. There's, oh, retrospect is but, retrospect, right? Yeah, but once I was in that moment and I had a good enough gap on the group that I was like, well, I'm just gonna sit out here and I didn't didn't cook myself or anything on those early laps. I was riding sustainably, you know, it wasn't too tough, so I just stayed out there and let them kind of come up to me. But it was really interesting to see that in that race, um, we maintained a pretty high average speed. And I think that's because there was some productive work going on as a group. And mm -hmm. I, and I kind of want to, I don't know if it's too early to jump into well, this. Well, let's, let's talk about, let's talk about, cause we're, we're going as teammates Yep. and Jordan and I are in the pack yep. and you are out front mm -hmm. and Chad, why don't you talk us through what should Jordan and I do if we got one guy off the front and, and we're in the pack. Uh, it, it's a little more complex than that simply because you and Jonathan are clearly on the same team. Jordan, you guys might, the three of you might be riding as teammates for a little while, but in, when it comes down to those closing laps, yeah. all bets are off. Okay. So uh, that com just me, complexifies matters a bit, but you, your job would just be to cover anything that gets across to Jonathan. Mm -hmm. And so that, if you see something going up the road, I mean, all you do is mark it. You sit on that wheel of, you know, if it's a single rider, a couple riders and just wait till it gets across. When it gets across, then it's up to you to decide what to do next. Do you counter it? Or do you sit in because you guys have a good enough gap and you can all work together for a while? And that's what 
that's exactly what happened is people tried to bridge to you mm-hmm. and I, I'd go on them and, and we did bridge to you like I think three people mm-hmm. and Jordan was one of them. Mm-hmm. And uh, we went to go, I was up front and I was like, I was thinking of counterattack mm-hmm. now. That's, and then it was probably too early to do that. And, and that's what I was going to say, like pretty much the, anything that happens in the first half of the race, especially with a lower level criterium. And I understand it's only a 30 minute event. It's going to come back. Mm-hmm. Not too much sticks when it happens in the first half or even the first two thirds of a race. Yeah. It's kind of tricky to do. The interesting thing was, I think that you're, so you were thinking, okay, we've caught him. Now I should counter, which is usually what you would do if you're yeah, in a pack. Cause I wanted right? you to have a free ride. I, w- I thought that these people would then chase me and you would get a free ride for a while. Well, let's be clear on one thing too, or let's clear something up initially. Uh, that Nate's out there to get starts. Jonathan's out there to get wins. Oh yeah, that's so a big that, point. That is mm-hmm. a big point. Because I'm a five mm-hmm. and I hadn't <laughs> I hadn't finished a race. <laughs> I only finished it with some metal in my collarbone. Yeah. <laughs> but the idea, I get nothing by winning mm-hmm. and Jonathan gets a lot by winning. Mm-hmm. You get a point no matter what. You get first or last, you get a point. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. I can so get as long as you finish. As long as I finish. Yeah. So actually <clears throat> when we got to that point, I was about a half a second away from attacking and you said, slow down. I don't know if you remember that. Yep. Because I was like, I kind of like started to put some power on. Yep. Um, and then I made the decision, well, let's just try to get this break yes. further and on. So there's a difference, right? Um, in the sense that I was up the road and then you guys came up with a pretty small pack. I think it was like three other people, right? It was three total. Yeah. So when you caught us there in that situation, that's like, okay, all three of us might be able to work together to really get some good separation. Cause the rest, they were still pretty close. No, they, they were too far. I, see, I don't they think they were. They weren't. They were I don't about, think they were catching us. Nope. There were about 20 riders behind us and they were maybe three seconds behind, four seconds behind. They were pretty close. So at that point, my thought isn't, uh, you know, if, if you're in a big pack, and your teammates up the road and that big pack catches him, then yes, as a teammate, you should counter in most cases on that. But if you are in a breakaway and then you bridge up to that teammate, you don't necessarily, unless that teammates, you know, no, at that point in the race, you're fortifying your resources. Yeah. I mean, you're, Mm -hmm. you're basically strengthening your, your, the possibility that break will stay away. So it's nothing you want to mess with Mm -hmm. or or attack. So that's when I was saying like, you know, go easy, go easy to Mm -hmm. not mess up the break that was basically it was too early to uh to attack well and since to start the infighting i mean once you establish a break you guys work together until you have to start to break it up until until the you come down to those crucial laps or you know one of you has noticed over the course of it that i'm taking stronger poles i'm taking longer poles i'm clearly the strongest guy here i'm going to sit on for a couple poles and then i'm going to attack this and see if i can solo for 10 or 15 minutes or or Mm -hmm. whatever it may be the uh one other thing that happened is just after that i think no, it was before that. I forget when it was, but uh, I had my tire slice right in half, <laughs> yeah. and it was an explosion. Mm-hmm. And I thought to myself, "That's it. I'm not going to. I'm not going to finish this <laughs> race. Start yep. or finish." Uh, luckily, Chad was there, and we swapped wheels. And I think mm-hmm. I it was like a lap or something. We we did it really quick, mm-hmm. and uh, Chad missed his entire warm up yeah. because he didn't yeah. have a wheel. Yeah. I'm going to bring extra Chad. wheels next time. And uh, that's that's you save me, Chad. Jump in real quick. That's uh, how none of us did that. I feel very foolish. I mean, it is a criterium, and I know when we go to Air Center, it's a local race. If you flat, you just kind of call it a day, no big deal. But this was a USAC sanctioned race. We knew that that points were on the line. There was more motivation. We should have brought at least one extra wheel. Well, we have extra wheels for me and Chad, the same wheels, and we could just lay them on the grass. No, it's a short loop. You you do your little TP. There's usually a little wheel pit. You duck in, you swap a wheel, you're back on the course, and and that's that. Another takeaway, right? Yeah, Yeah, for sure. That was just 
foolish. You know, right after that happened and you flatted the group, it kind of like let some steam out of the group because I think that they were like, oh, good. Because I wasn't here. Nate's gone. <laughs> yeah. So that means he's just, right. there's just one guy. But one, one thing I observed with that is you didn't jump back in with the group that you left. No, I did. Did you? Yeah, it was. I, I was in the break a, when I when I got it. You were, and then yeah. I saw you with a bigger bigger group, and you had to work back up to the smaller well, group. Jonathan mm-hmm. broke away, and the group that the group that I was in, I think, got bigger because it slowed down. So you yeah. did reintegrate with the same group. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's all I was going to get across. Yeah. So and and with that one, as soon as the steam kind of got let got let out of the group because of Nate's flat, we carried on for a bit, and then the pace started to slow down. And as soon as that happened, I I, I still I felt plenty tired, but I was like, attack! If we're going slow, I'm going to attack. You know. So. And I, I went off the front again, and then that ended up causing another split. And then that really got things whittled down. And then we really got separation from that group. So it was, it was basically like a something that I usually find in a race is that if you're, you know, if you're looking for the time to attack, there are plenty of times that come from that. But when the pack slows down and you're racing with good racers, you'll see that if the pack slows down, if you're not attacking, somebody else is attacking. Mm-hmm. Uh, they keep the pace high to keep the race selective. And I employed that that technique in that race for sure, uh, especially because of the wide variety levels. I figured it could be more successful even than if one yeah, with you know higher really riders. Fragmented. Yeah. The last, the just the last thing I want to say about this race is, so at the end there were four of us: Jonathan, Jordan, and I. Really like three teammates against, and then one other person. Mm-hmm. And that person, um, uh, we did a. Jonathan is very good at. Um, He's very vocal in a break. He's telling everyone what to do. <laughs> not complaining, but vocal. Yeah, like I'm not the type of person that's like yelling at people and telling them that it's like, uh, uh, do this. Nate's yeah. expression do this. says otherwise. Exactly. Do this. Yeah, do yeah. this. Yeah. Well, um, there's a difference between people that are tired and yelling at people because they're not working. Because they're cranky. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yep. And then there's a difference between we need some organization we need somebody to kind of guide this. So you ship. were trying to be the captain on the road. You exactly were right. well, the instigator. I, yeah. I think he was goading someone else too to do too much work. Which there was we, that too. Yep. So the one extra person in our group, poor guy, um, he's he was actually pretty strong, uh-huh. um, a little squirrely, but mm-hmm. he he probably took too long of pulls. And then uh, after one of his pulls, Jonathan attacked hard, mm-hmm. and Jordan and I just sit on him. And he pulled to try to bring back Jonathan for like a lap and a half. Like yeah. we're doing 10 second pulls, and he does like a 70 second pull and like strong, right? Even longer. Yeah. I know. I was like thinking if he was smarter, he could maybe like do better. Yeah. Um, can I, I'll, I'll say the end of the race. Yeah, so, yeah. well, you guys, so you guys had effectively a three up break and you had one of your guys masquerading as someone from another team. So that <laughs> yeah. you say, poor guy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Poor, poor guy. guy. <laughs> so, well, and, and something I want to cover really quick before we get into how it finished, but, uh, I feel like, there are certain tactics that with skilled riders, like are really experienced riders, don't work. Just straight up. Mm-hmm. However, yeah, because they've on, seen all this mm-hmm. a number of times. Depending on their mental state, you never know it might work. And in this case, I just thought, you know what? I'm going to encourage this guy to keep pulling. And I know that sounds silly, or that sounds even like no. you know, a bit evil. But the fact is, he was doing a pull, and I had said, "Good, keep going." keep going. And I knew that he was kind of on the ropes. You're you're managing resources at that point. Why wouldn't you? And then at that point, I just told him to keep going until he couldn't. And that's when I attacked. So the other, so at the, let's say, so Jonathan, he stayed away and Jonathan won the race. Right. And then at the end, um, Jordan, they accelerated and Jordan passed the, the, uh, the, the, the odd man out from our group. Yeah. And I, I didn't even do a, a kick at the end because I said, we got another race. 
Just, literally right after. Like 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 five <laughs> yeah. minutes after. Not even time to give me my wheel back so I could warm up. Actually, yeah, yeah. not even five minutes. I, I did like a, a somewhat soft lap and yeah. then I Two minute lap up and, and line we up went. and we go. <laughs> yeah. So um, the idea is in this situation that uh, the person who was odd man out, if he didn't pull really hard and he started to soft pedal because you know, he, he has a choice here, either bridge up to Jonathan or start to like play a game with us mm -hmm. is that if he was a soft pedal, then either Jordan and I would have gone mm -hmm. really hard mm -hmm. and then brought the next person. Yeah. And then if he would have caught, then the next person would have attacked. Right. Or just when there was no scenario for him to, it's yeah. <clears throat> to be successful in that situation. Yeah, you, Unless I mean, he was just so much stronger than exactly. You That's the only one is so much stronger or we're done. Mm -hmm. Right. We did some, if we did something stupid, like if we would have just kept like if an even you guys pace, bridge back to Jonathan and towed him along, mm -hmm. that would be something stupid. Mm -hmm. Um, if we, uh, um, just went an even pace and this guy was a great sprinter, mm -hmm. like that would have not been smart. Mm -hmm. Um, if we would have tacked like two at a time or something, uh, it could have worked, but it could have been a better chance for this person to catch on to a draft. Totally. Yeah. One person is, is, is just enough. one versus three is pretty tough. So, yeah. and I mean, but if I am that one person in that situation, I'm not doing any work. So unless yeah. I'm really it's not much point in it. Yep. Because there's, there's other people. And if they want to, and the three people, if they want to make a breakaway work together, then they need to work together to make that work. Yeah. So, so poor guys, <clears throat> poor guys, uh, approach at that point should have just been to sit on the two of the, you and Jordan. Yep. So, so, then so, we the, so the three back, so what? So, yep. so that he just covers that attack, yep. but he's got nothing to gain by being in front of you guys. Yeah. Exactly. Right. You're kind of, it's the, the, you are the, not, you're SOL no matter what. Yeah. You're not. Yeah, so, so why not at least try to try to out sprint the two of you guys and get a second place. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Yeah. You're right. That would have been just trying to cover us two the whole time. Yeah. Would have yeah. been the better yeah. move. Even before then, when he got into the break with us, he didn't need to work. No, he didn't yeah. have. I just seen the two of you should let him know I'm not going to do much work here. Yeah. Cause yeah. we have the same Jersey on. Yeah. 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 Uh, one, kit. one thing is after the race, mm -hmm. a bunch of people were like, that was so fast. That C race. Mm -hmm. It was the four five race. And I looked at the data afterwards and, uh, Chad's race, the, the one, two, three race did, what was it? 25.8 average speed. Mm -hmm. The four five race averaged 27.3. Yeah. Granted it was a half hour versus 50 said, minutes. They did so. 45, but. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah versus 45. Yeah. Still. Mm -hmm. we were, eight or is that the three, four, five race? That's the three, four, five race. So it was a one, two, three race. The three, four, yeah. five race and the one, two, three race same. had the same exact oh, okay, speed. Yeah. Same speed. Yeah. But see our, our. We can get into this in a little bit. Our race was different. It wasn't fast. It Very was different. hard. Very when we different. went fast, we went real fast. And then when we shut it down, you know, the, the, the average speed Somebody yeah. got dropped the, substantially. In the C race, they got the on Strava for the loop of the lap, the mm -hmm. sixth highest of all time. <laughs> nice. It's up there with Justin Rossi and, and all those people. Who was in our race last night? Justin, Justin Rossi. Awesome. He's yeah, back. That's what I'm saying. Well, not really. He just trains once a week and he still hangs with everybody. Yeah. Okay. It's amazing. Three, four, five race. We line up. Mm -hmm. We go again. This one was a little more, a little more tactics. I was quite tired. I did not want to go hard from the gun. Mm -hmm. uh, Jordan, however, did want to go hard from the gun. So he did. You guys only had 30 minutes in your legs. Come on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. Um, but uh, so I, and I didn't, I, I want to be clear. I wasn't like exhausted, but I was, I de definitely didn't feel like, you know, spring chicken sure. at that point. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So didn't want to go in and, and try to try to put a check out there that I couldn't handle later on. So anyways, I, Jordan went far, went hard off the front and he had three people with him or two other people with him on different teams and teamwork really comes into play in this discussion on mm -hmm. this race. For sure. Uh, this is all around breakaways basically, because another breakaway happened in this race and it absolutely ended up being the decisive thing. Which on a really basic course like this is not the easiest sell. Right. So, and we'll talk about that maybe a little more in the 
the mm-hmm. one, two, three race. Yeah, for sure. So in this case, he had uh, he had a breakaway with two people from two different teams. And then we got to a point where I was just kind of marshalling on the front because I wanted to kind of cover for Jordan. And then one of the teams that's up the road had a teammate that was chasing him down and he was pulling the whole pack up there with him. So the body team. Yeah. Yeah. So the, usually when you have a rider up the road in a breakaway, yeah. you should not be working. You should not be pulling people up the road to them. Right. Yeah, but the, the, the bigger teams fall victim to the, everybody wants some sort of mm-hmm. uh, mentality. Mm-hmm. So they don't necessarily ride as a team. I mean, you get 10, 12 guys from the same team out there at the same time, their, their views are not going to be aligned. They're not all going to be working for one or two people. Yep. So it kind of turns into a situation where they might as well be wearing different jerseys. Yeah. And we, we, he pulled us pretty darn close, like close enough so that jumping across to the gap to bridge that gap wasn't hard at all. Mm-hmm. So he pulled us pretty close. And then I think he realized either that's my teammate and he didn't know that was his teammate or he realized I shouldn't be doing this. I think and he pulled off and then there was another off. person. Yep. And when he pulled off like that, I, I think I, I told you, I said, he's not going to pull. Yeah. Like. Cause the next person in line was another Audi teammate and we didn't, we thought he wasn't going to pull at all, which he didn't. Yep. So you did the wise thing at that point. He kind of delivered us closely and you bridged across. We both did. Yep. Yep. Uh, well, tandem. you, you initiated it and I just held onto that wheel. Yeah. Um, and when you bridged across, I liked how you, you actually, you picked it up hard, very quick initially. Mm-hmm. And that's another important thing. If you're going to make a bridging mm-hmm. effort and you don't really want to bring a lot of people with you. No, you it's got to be a clean break. Yes. You don't want to be a, a welder who brings everything back together every time. Mm-hmm. I like that term, the welder. Yeah. I, I've been called a welder in the past, <laughs> but I, I was a purposeful welder. I think I was working for teammates, but that, that was my job. And it, right. it cultivated a high level of fitness, I got to say. So then two of us went up to join this breakaway. Now here's something that if I see that, so let's say on the Audi team guy, right? So you have an Audi team member up the road in the breakaway, you have a teammate up the road, then two guys on the same team start bridging up to that. I would instantly think one of us has to latch onto that at least. Anybody, everybody in that field behind you should have said, if I'm going to do something, I've got to do it now because that's too dangerous, especially Mm -hmm. having seen you guys kind of run the the previous race. Mm -hmm. And at that point, you really want to make sure if you have two teammates going up against one of your teammates in a breakaway, you want to grab that wheel. You want to even bring, if you can, another teammate with you, because you, if you get into a situation where your teammates outnumbered then by, you know, a, a fellow mm-hmm. team, then that's really tough. And the uh, other unfair thing, we had Jordan up there in the group who so was really, we had three. <laughs> yeah. A teammate within a different Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> Is yeah. Jordan cat five? Uh, cat four. Four. Oh, so yeah. he was after He's and, and this guy that we're racing with just to let people know, he's like, uh, I think he was on the junior Olympic team for biathlon. He's like an incredible cross country. Stupid big engine. Yeah. A ridiculously high maximum heart rate. Yes. So his pumper goes for it. I think he said his highest is uh, 230. That blows my mind. (laughs) He's like 185 pounds. Yeah. Like crit machine. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, A really good racer. So, um, but that breakaway is kind of interesting because this one was a little different. When we got up to the group, the, the poles I noticed were kind of spiky and I heard Jordan already trying to marshal that. Uh, Jordan was saying, Hey guys, you know, not so surgy, keep it easy. And so I had this situation where I looked back and the group was gaining on us. Yeah. (laughs) And I was like, Oh, I'm going to, and I'm thinking at this point in the race, it's early. Uh, like, you know, on the C race, I was like, I'm going to go on a break, but on this race, I'm like, I want to pull this group because they're too close. Yeah. And I was doing really strong, like 
I was going hard on the polls. Terrible. Too hard. And too hard, though, for everybody. But I don't know if it was because you guys stayed on no, and we got to big At what expense, though? I mean, early in the race, if you're beating these guys up with two hard polls, that's going to be of consequence. Well, it's risky. Obviously, it worked out fine. <laughs> well, yes, but retrospect. like it's, it's It did, too but risky. it was risky. It, I think it worked mm -hmm. largely because the group behind was inexperienced and mm -hmm. because there were some aspects of it that I feel like made this, it fast. In this race, the group pulls for a certain amount of time, and if they don't catch you with a certain amount of time, the, the wind goes out of their sails. Yes. It doesn't work in every race. In, in less experienced said. racers, sure. That's but everyone thinking, yeah. else, I mean, once you get into the one, two, three, or the one, twos, especially, mm -hmm. you realize you never say die. So if, and, and here's the best way to do that. Let's say that you are worried the group's going to catch us. You don't just start making your pulls hard. At that moment, when you're in a breakaway, you're a band of brothers or band of sisters. And you need to, you need to talk to each other. You need to work together. You need to make sure that everybody's on the same page so that you don't just go hammer at the front. So in that case, we were roughly holding about um, a 27 mile an hour average with our poles, which if you look at historical data on that course, I know that if you maintain 27, even in the A's, uh, what I usually race there, if you if you maintain a 27 mile an hour in average in a breakaway, that's kind of the breaking point. If you're below that, it's not going to work almost well, every time. We were less. We were... 26, 25.8. Yeah. And we were getting, but we were getting to the point where 27 was like a, we were really close to maintaining 27 for the polls. Like we were getting there. Um, so, and I realized that people were hurting the two other guys. They were, they were hurting. Their poles were short. They were kind of stabby. And then the next pole would be short and not stabby at all. And it would be like just dropping speed off. So then we started doing this thing. And this is the thing with a breakaway. A breakaway is successful are most successful when this, then the speed can be consistent across the board, right? When it's not fluctuating. <clears throat> so when you have a rider that's either pushing too hard or not pulling hard enough, you get this reacceleration that has to happen multiple times every rotation. It's pretty draining. And it can really start to drain you. Uh, the beauty of a breakaway when it's rolling smoothly is that it doesn't actually have to drain you a whole lot because you can just be really smooth and you're, you know, there aren't any sudden fluctuations or, or accelerations in pace. So, uh, I was trying to make sure that everybody was rolling, you know, smoothly through that group so then we could stay together, better our chances as a breakaway in the beginning of that race to kind of get a good gap. Yeah. Early, early in the break, smooth is best. No, mm -hmm. no, no argument there. As that, as the race evolves and get closer and closer to the finish, that starts to change. Make it select. That's when you start trying to feel people out, taking slightly harder pulls, seeing if some anyone's coming unhitched, seeing if when they do pull through, it's a little weaker than it was last time. So you know you took something out of them. That's when you kind of start kind of start to feel in the waters and seeing you know who's who who do I need to worry about at this point at this late point in the race and who's who's of no consequence. So there was this midpoint in the race where we had such a gap. I think we had lapped most of the field. I, I you know looking back on the straightaways, you can't see the other group. Mm -hmm. um, and I, the rotation aspect of it, and this, this is a good takeaway is Jonathan, you and Jordan always pulled on the side with the tailwind. Mm -hmm. So in that situation, not a, no, that's not correct. Well, uh, the majority of the time, if, if, if I, if, if, if I would, if we pull, looked, I would pull into the headwind for the second half too. So, okay. Yeah. Well, in my impression mm -hmm. on the, on the backside, every time, uh, at the, about pretty much the windiest part to this corner. Um, I was taking the guy in front of me, he'd, he'd do a little pull in the wind and then he'd go off and do a short doing. one. Yeah. Exactly. I knew what he was doing. And then Jonathan was behind me, keep yelling at me to pull through. And I'm mm -hmm. like, I don't want to pull through here. This guy's trying to put me in the wind. No, and then he's I mean, telling, he Jonathan's he telling the, the other guy, he's like, you rest, Nate, you pull through. Yeah. And I'm like, wait, yeah. 
Why? Why? Uh, so why? Why were, you, why were why. you saying that? Because there was such a gap. I was like, I should be. Here's why. Not doing that. We were two thirds or halfway through that race, and if anybody worked together and we lost a guy, and we started to really suffer as a group, we would get reeled right back in. I've I've had situations on that course where in a breakaway, I'm I'm further than that. I actually get halfway around the course and I look across the oval and I can see the group back there and they still end up catching. Yeah, you'd be surprised how quickly an organized group can shut down a break. But yep. you guys are doing it perspective of the A race. Well, of course, this, but in this case, but in this case we had a yeah. mixed we had a mixed group of people that could very well be that fast. Could. And and we had so you had to you had to play it safe. And then the reason I was asking him to to skip poles, which he he didn't. And skipping poles, as long as, you know, there's communication in the group and you don't skip too many, but skipping one or two, if you're really feeling gas like that is good. And if you're a group and you're still trying to get away and make sure you stay away, it's something that you'd want to advocate for a week. Yeah. You're trying to eke more utility out of him. You didn't want to blow him up on just a couple poles, rather let him skip a couple poles and so he, he can be worth 10 more poles. I honestly think that ropes. any of us, the three of us could have soloed away from the group. I know you think point. that, but at the same time, we were in a group. We might as well try to work together. It's, you know, and- Different it's approaches. totally fine. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I would have. So if we were if we were into the final third of that race, then that thing starts to change for me a bit. I would not be telling him to sit in. We'd actually be picking it up, and I'd be fine with harder pulls. Either the the other takeaway though is engineer it where maybe I'm pulling on the the uh, the tailwind each time rather than trying sure. to encourage me to pull in the, in the headwind, but still have well, the other people pull. No, here's why I'm encouraging you to pull forward. You, every time he would drop the speed from 26 <clears throat> to 23, that's a pretty big drop. So then when you would pull through and when you would choose to pull through, you would pull it back up. And then the problem with that is that everyone would have to accelerate and it would hurt mm -hmm. everybody. So the point of pulling through was to keep a consistent pace. Yeah. And, and it makes and sense. I mean, you put your strongest guy in the front on the hardest part of the course to totally. keep the speed steady. Totally. But I want to be fresh. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't think that was a concern yeah. for Jonathan. Well, and I, certainly I was not, not the other concerned about your freshness. So. <laughs> Thanks, Jonathan. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it, the point is, in a, in a breakaway, if you have a rider that's slowing down or taking really soft pulls like that, uh, you need to be wary of that. And if you can, just pull through. Instead of sitting behind him and letting the group's pace drop down like that, pull through and keep mm -hmm. that pace high. The other part is that I would peel off right before like this corner. And this is the corner where in the race before I've clipped my pedal. And so I'm, I'm, I experimented like, you probably saw me take the corner like, eight, nine, 10 different ways, all the corners, mm -hmm. some of them good, some of them bad. Mm -hmm. And I was trying to figure out where, how late and how early I could pedal through. But if I peel off on that corner, I would, and John saw me one time, I get gapped by like mm -hmm. 10 yards and then I have to accelerate back. And not, the the group wasn't going fast enough where I had to, uh, I'd get dropped, but it was enough to put it was extra damage in yeah. my legs. No, no, corners every... are tricky. Sometimes they bunch up, sometimes they stretch out. I well, mean, it, you can you can make up a lot of time <laughs> in corners if you really pedal through them. And, and all those corners definitely lent themselves to pedaling through. But it, it's harder though, if I'm saying is if you peel off like before the corner, like if I was in the line, the pace line in second place, it, it's a lot easier to stay and maintain momentum through that corner. Then when you're rotating to the back and you're kind of like, you're, trying you're to in the wind. You're, tr you're in the wind, you're trying to detach, you're at a different speed than them, and you don't have the perfect line. Mm -hmm. So like all three of those things slow you down a little bit. Yeah. Um, it's just better to situate yourself. For the corners that maybe you're not the best at, try to be in the pack or try to be in the pace line in the right spot to be able to max minimize your weakness. And for and something, so something to fix that next time is to just simply 
talk, right? In the group say, Hey guys, I want to change my position because I keep ending up on this corner. I don't I, feel comfortable. I yelled at you. I said, I, he's, I'm keep pulling in the wind. I want to pull in this <laughs> If you guys are that communicative, I mean, you can just make that happen without any words. You just yeah, slot back. Too. You just skip a turn. You, you yeah, can reintegrate at any point in that pace line. They're not going to. Jonathan got in my head. Because he kept yelling at me and I was like, well, I shouldn't listen to him, but he is my teammate. Maybe he knows something I don't know, but maybe, but then I I don't know if you heard me say that, like, he's always pulling me. I'm always pulling in the way or he's, he's having me pull into the wind every time. Totally heard that and did not care, frankly. So (laughs) because we were all pulling into the wind and and it doesn't matter if you're in the wind or not, we're in a breakaway, you do this together. So, um, but it, the, the problem that I was seeing with the turns wasn't just when you were reattaching but you would let a gap open up into every turn. And I was wondering if you were, what we talked about, I think even last week about how Pete lets a gap open up into the turn. I don't know if you were doing that I strategy. was experimenting with how, like where that pedal stroke could be. Yeah. Um, if you do a little gap, and I did it right a few times where you do a little bit of a pedal and then you come in and you don't, there's no brakes and it's perfectly smooth. Yeah. And then I messed it up about 35 times. I got it right probably four times, but (laughs) I'm getting better. Okay. So I thought that you were doing like the tactic, like we were talking about something that Pete talks about is when you have a turn in a criterium and it requires braking and reacceleration, oftentimes it's better to let a little bit of a gap open up before you get to that turn. And then you don't break. So then that way you don't have to reaccelerate. And I, in an ideal world, you just coast through at a perfect pace so that you kind of reattach once they've accelerated. Yeah, and from experience, like previous laps experience, you know how that corner is going to react in most cases. So you mm-hmm. can start to employ something like that. But until you've figured that out, you yeah. got to do what you're doing, just a bunch of trial and error. Yep. And, and even then it's not a consistent thing. And it, so it sounds like you weren't trying to necessarily employ that tactic as much as just find the proper line so that you could be as efficient as possible, right? Yeah, and yeah. I did it wrong. It was, it was like a... Uh, experimenting. Yeah. You and know, and the yeah. interesting thing though, about that tactic with, with Pete's tactic is the fact that if in this case, you'd never break for the turns on this course, mm-hmm. right? There's no breaking. Uh, you Unless can, someone cuts you off. Pe- yeah. You pedal and through the turns. Break for that. You yeah. Get out of the way. Yep. You pedal through the turns. So if you don't have a situation where there is a big, a, a, a reduction in speed and a reacceleration, then opening up that gap only hurts you because they're oh, not actually accelerating. Huge. Right. It hurts you. So it's, it's humongous. And that's one of my takeaways from the, the one, two or one, two, three race Yeah, was that I don't, I don't have enough snap to get on things as quickly as I did last year. So I haven't been targeting that and it's just not there. The neuromuscular activity, the the response that I I have trained in the past and have benefited from, which allows me to kind of whoop, 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 and I'm on, as opposed to two or three times that duration at slightly less power and a heck of a lot more energy expenditure. So Mm -hmm. when do you need that? When do you use that, I guess, in a course like that snap? Often, often. Because I bet a lot of people just think of sprinting in a snap. Yeah, anytime something jumps away, I mean, you can can feel moves, see moves in your periphery, and you know now's the time for me to go. I don't want to wait until it's in front of me and I see who who else is latching on. You start to drive that speed up immediately and figure out where you're going to latch on to whatever may be coming by. Mm. or just something directly in front of you moves away. And when you have to take three pedal strokes to close that gap, as opposed to one hard surge, it's, it's, it's a far different consequence. Yeah, I, I noticed the is. same thing. Um, my, and especially, so I had a, initially, I had a good, strong, like short power like that, mm-hmm. but then repeatability as mm-hmm. like after the second race <laughs> and there's like 15 minutes left, each yeah. one of those gaps open. I was like, okay, Nate, time to not, <laughs> Just to figure this out Um, is I'm looking at my power file with performance analytics on train road (laughs) and um, you can, I zoom in and I can see, you can look at, you can tell where the laps are and 
500 watts, you know, for only for a few seconds, but mm -hmm. every time. And I guarantee you, look at Jonathan's. Actually, you can just see looking at our our data, his power is much um, smoother, much more compressed, right? Mm -hmm. And you look at mine, and it's like an uh, earthquake just happened, right? Yeah. Up and down, up and down. <laughs> That's how mine looks, too. Yeah, yeah which is not brutally the right way. Yours, yours looks that way for different reasons. Mine should have looked smoother, right? Because in, in the end, I was trying to, number one, I was trying to make sure that things were smooth. You were doing those harder pulls. But then also, there was a point in that race, and I, this is kind of where we'll end talking about our race and transition to Chad's, but there was a point in that race where you did a very clever move. Oh, yes. Since it was... Really, I think at this point, uh, the other two guys that were with uh, with Jordan, you and I, had kind of realized that the three of us were probably teammates. Well, uh, yeah. <laughs> this, this is an important thing is the the Audi guy, he was in the race. He had seven teammates behind him. Yes. Right? Uh, or seven. I think there were seven behind him. Seven guys wearing the same kit. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. They So were they, they, they weren't chasing. Okay. Um, yeah, that's true. We they weren't. Yeah. Well, they, they weren't chasing on purpose. And we were even saying, his name is Kevin, the Audi guy. He's not taking hard or long poles mm -hmm. yep. and good for him because he's in a group with three team with three of us and he has seven people behind so yeah, what he wants to do coverage totally what i mean what he wants is he wants teammates to bridge up to him so that he has some kind of chance which mm -hmm. begs the question why that didn't happen well that see that's the that's so there's like i think different levels of execution they didn't one is don't chase your teammate and you hear that so much yep but i think with seven people in that in this race, they could have taken the three or four strongest people. Mm -hmm. They could have all attacked at once, really strong, not brought up the whole peloton, and uh, bridged up to us. Well, once again, yes. the, the reason you would have done that in that case also is because you have two Phantom Three teammates that are with that guy. Yeah. So at that point, he's outnumbered. So you want to. Yeah, but that's, that's super negative to sit back there and just wait for things to unfold rather than instigate it, rather than make something happen when you have seven expendable riders. Yeah. I mean, you could have. They, they could have fired off shots. Either it gets away clean or they shut it down so you don't Got tow it. the field up. And that's the that's the key point, right, is that if they were – and I think because we had such a gap, they would have – not one person could have soloed. Mm -hmm. If they would have worked as a team. Yeah, a but as soon there. as they see they don't give a gap, they shut it down, the next three go right away. Totally. And yep. then the next – Counter, they go counter, back counter, counter, counter. When you have that many riders, why would you do anything but that? Got a lot of firepower. Liven it up. Gotta exactly. Have, and have fun. Strong riders in that group too. And I also knew that Kevin – um, in this group. So he's kind of sitting in. I know he can sprint pretty well too, based mm -hmm. on group rides that I've done with him. He's a tiny guy too. So he'd be nice and arrow. Yeah. And he's got sprints. snap. Uh -huh. Right. Yeah. So at four laps to go, um, I look at Jonathan and uh, I think Jonathan's Jonathan's in front. There's a, the, a guy who's uh, the, the tired guy, but pretty strong in front of me. And then me, Jonathan comes over and I go, uh, don't chase then counter. And I wait till my guy does a big pull and then I attack but you did a Cancellara attack. It was cool. Like you just rolled off the front, which made everybody kind of go. Which makes perfect sense uh, for the sort of fitness you've got. What do we do? And then also, I think at that point, maybe the rotation had changed, but I was right at the front, so I could just block easily, mm -hmm. you know, when you went away. I didn't have to. I think you, know. you rotated right back in, mm -hmm. which was smart too. <clears throat> so the idea being in this race, so I don't, I don't get points if I win. What I wanted to do was be far enough off the front where, um, or close enough off the front where they think that they can catch me. Mm -hmm. but not. I don't want to get so far where they give up mm -hmm. and they say nothing. So yeah. what happened in the group after I attacked? Yeah, uh, instantly, uh, smartly, the other two guys attacked and they attacked for about eight seconds and I was right on their wheel and then their shoulders slumped heavily. And they, they saw you on their wheel, right? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. And they were like, oh, okay, that's not going to work. And then they just sat on the front 
and I didn't do a single thing as I shouldn't in that situation. Uh, you're up the road and you know, I knew that you were playing bait and I'm sure that they knew that too, uh, mm-hmm. that you were playing bait up the road. And I just sat there and we Correct. watched you dangle just in front of our noses. And I kept looking back yeah. and uh, a couple times they, tr- I saw it look like one guy trying to solo like twice. He did. Bridge to me. He did. And then I would pull forward then. And, and, and then I would come. So you, you were maintaining a really tempting gap. Exactly. Ex- the tempting gap, because what the point of this is to get it so that these two people are super tired. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then once they do catch me, Jordan and or Jonathan can go. I understand. Something that's interesting when the other guy that was with us from the Velo Reno team, when he was trying to bridge up to you, after seeing his poles, I knew he did not have enough to bridge, right? Because his poles were very short, hard, and then they would drop off after probably two seconds. And then he would be, you know, kind of out of gas. Mm -hmm. So when he attacked, I would kind of move to the side of the Audi guy and I would pick up the pace a bit and he would kind of follow my wheel just so that that way, if he was somehow able to bridge, I'd be able to latch onto that wheel, but I figured he couldn't. So it's, it just, my point with this is the fact that every single time somebody takes a poll or at all times you should be collecting data on everybody around you mm-hmm. and you should be understanding what they're doing how they're riding mm-hmm. you're trying to learn how formulating they're your strategy based on what you're seeing in the in the your competitors yeah like you have principles that you operate on but you have to make sure you understand the context and that's you know figuring out the riders so my 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 dangling attack for the four laps um, I did 322 normalized watts and Jonathan during the same time did 190 normalized yeah. power. Yeah. Or nice. my, my, my NP was 322 and his was 190. Yeah. So that's an idea of how it's much rest. twice the work. Yeah, it was only like five minutes, mm-hmm. but five minutes at 190 in the race. Five minutes, five seconds goes a long ways. Oh, I yeah. know, but so five minutes though. I felt fresh. Exactly. And then <laughs> nice. I got caught with like one lap to go. I actually thought, I was like, if I make it all the way, I'm just going to stand right before the finish line and then <laughs> let you guys like do it. But, uh, Give me my wheel. but the, the, that was like, that was the perfect thing is I wanted to get, I didn't want to get caught at the very end because then there'd be a sprint. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so at one lap to go, I got caught. And then I believe immediately after you attacked, which is the perfect thing to do. Yep. Yeah. As soon as you with one, or I guess almost two laps to go, like it was kind of like around there, we got caught and then I attacked. And then once I attacked, the other guys just like stayed right on my wheel at first, but then they, I realized that they could not hold it. And I was actually hoping to deliver Jordan for a win, but he said that he didn't have it. So worked out. And so one person, the Audi guy got dropped Mm -hmm. from that group, Mm -hmm. which is great. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, the Jordan was there and the guy that was trying to bridge up to you, mm-hmm. he couldn't. Mm-hmm. Jordan just sat on his wheel and then the came past around him at the end. 550 yards came around him. No problem. Yep. And they got the one, two again. Yeah, so uh, was, so uh, Jonathan won the race. Okay. Jordan got second again. Yep. I believe you have enough points to upgrade. Jordan, Jordan also got enough points to upgrade. Nice. Uh, yep. Very if successful. I can, if I can have a proud Papa moment here, and I know I'm not, <laughs> I, I, I coach these guys in a very loose sense in that they use trainer road and, and, yeah. and we talk about this stuff and they're, they're coworkers. So it's, it's a, an infrequent occurrence to have somebody call their strategy before the race. I mean, basically Babe Ruth it, just point at left field and actually make it happen. And these guys did it twice. They established a break, that break stuck, and they won from that break. And they did it two times in a row. Mm-hmm. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Now I'm think thanks. Thanks, Chad. Part of it was that. uh we had really good fitness mm-hmm. and I think we did really good tactical stuff too. Like yeah. both yeah. of those together That's made it really yeah. super hard. It's commendable. Um, 
to beat. Last thing I want to say on these ones before we move into Chad's race, because there's a lot to learn from that one, is don't underestimate fields. Like this is a situation where like, sure, we won and everything else, but people come into like a, you know, a fast mountain biker goes over and races a cat five race or a cat four race. And everyone says, ah, it'll be easy. Just, you know, roll away. Um, but those it's races, never easy. they're never easy. Never easy. And those races, you know, weren't easy on our end. We, we executed well and we got them done, but, uh, it's not that easy. So just don't underestimate it. It's always good to make sure you come in with, you know, obviously good fitness, but also a good plan and understanding and how to make it work. So mm-hmm. your, your race was, was different, Chad. It was, it was still actually a pretty big group, about 30 riders, 40 this, this riders. This is the one, two, three ride mm-hmm. race. Yeah. And really fast guys that they're the folks that I usually race with. Um, it's a fast group. And, but I was surprised that there were, uh, some, there were as it should be almost in every moment, there was somebody off the front and if a break got caught, it was countered, mm-hmm. but you, it was incessant. I saw you early on in the race and I was like, Ooh, Chad looks like he's not feeling well. Yeah. But you did. <laughs> Sorry, Chad. So, I was not feeling well, <laughs> but you did so much work still. Yeah. And it yeah. wasn't, it it's, wasn't foolish work. Yeah. It's so just, you were forced to no warm up, Right. I, I mean, <laughs> Pete, Pete lent me his bike. He has speed plays. So I hopped on his bike and rolled around for about 10 minutes and then sat around for the better part of 30 minutes prior to the race. So let's just say I went, into a cold it wasn't the worst thing because all the other guys like five of the six or seven hitters i was worried about didn't warm up either so i was like okay fine level playing field we'll probably take the first couple laps easy didn't pan out that way after one lap it uh, it just shot started firing <laughs> and and it was hard it was brutally hard i mean yeah. each of those laps every time something would happen and i would try to close it and like i said kind of lazily close it because i didn't have snap i don't have snap Every one of those was, yep, I'm dropping out in the third lap. Yep, I'm dropping out in the fourth lap. Yep, I'm dropping out in the fifth lap. <laughs> That's negative thinking, Chad. It certainly is. But <laughs> but I had it in my head that I don't have a warm-up. I can't do this. Mm. And th- those are the battles, and, and there will be many. You'll mm. face a lot of these, and, and you'll, they'll come at you from all sides. There are so many opportunities to quit. Mm. And the thing with quitting is you do it once, and it only gets easier. Oh, yeah. So, so as soon as you make that call, oh, I can't do this. I'm bailing out. That, that that habit starts to form. So don't do it. Mm-hmm. And and especially you, you, you know, you're on the ropes and you feel like I, I, I'm the only one hurting this bad. You're not. The field, a group of riders who's who's off the break or, or maybe is behind you, things change all the time. Things come back mm-hmm. together. People fall off pace. You regroup. You get a little bit of recovery. You've got enough energy to make something happen. You get back up. I mean, things are constantly evolving. So just, just take heart and do not quit. Yeah. I noticed that because, so there were, there were breakaways going up. I mean, you were in one of those breakaways for a while. Um, you guys were chasing and doing, you were getting close to, and actually you did catch, I think, uh, the, the little group that was ahead of you guys. Yeah. We, nothing got away until the the cash premium. So yeah. there, there was a lot of stuff that got up the road and then it brought back, got up the road and it didn't matter if it had Rossi in it, Pete in it. I mean, guys who were putting out, Dave can sit at 400 Watts for long enough periods of time to break people. Mm-hmm. It kept coming back because a couple of things were working against us. It's a really basic power oriented course and there was very little wind. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there was wind, but it wasn't enough. It wasn't long enough really to, died to down. really break things up. And for our race, especially the later mm-hmm. race, we didn't start till 7 PM a little after. Mm-hmm. So that, that changes ha- how this works out. Things get away and they're not as threatening as they would be in high wind. People are more inclined to work and close gaps than they are when there's a really, and there's a block headwind deterring them from, from closing anything down. Once that breakaway got away, 
you were you and one other guy, Josh Rennie, another mm-hmm. really, he's a good crit yeah, racer. That was a tough situation. You guys were basically the only two pulling the rest of the group and you got darn close we, to catching. We them, had a but. five man group and Josh and I would take strong, long poles. We wanted to close it. And every time one of us would pull, we would actually close the margin. Um, the other three guys, and, and I do, sometimes I get frustrated to the point where I'll yell at people and crits or I'll at least yell to Josh and do a bit of cussing. And I'm not proud of it, but you know, pain kind of has that effect on me at times. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's, it's that whole all's fair in love and war and, and yeah. bike racing is war. So you ever catch me yelling at you, do not take it personally. <laughs> as soon as we get off those bikes, you're my best friend again. I mean, it's, it's, it's not personal at all, but in the moment when we're gutting ourselves and three guys aren't working, but if I try to break away, they somehow manage to cover that break instantly. Yeah. tells me they are faking it. They can do more work. We can close this gap. We can bring ourselves back up to that lead group and have a shot at a better finish. Yeah. And when that doesn't happen, laugh after lap after lap after lap, it gets downright frustrating. But maybe though, they, that was what they should be doing. I don't think so. No, they, they didn't they, have we, we needed to close that group. Yeah. No, but I mean, so at the or end, gap. you guys did close the gap. I oh. closed that gap. I know, exactly. And they didn't have to do any work. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, and, I'd argue and, and they that finished no, but they 13th, 14th, and 15th. Yeah. I know, but still, that probably gave them a better chance. <clears throat> no, I don't think so. No, I don't no, think no. so. I think Foolish they should have worked with us so that we could have brought it all back together. Yes, and a whole new set of tactics could have unfolded. Yes. So they did not end up. They did not end up. You guys didn't actually end up catching Pete and those guys. No, we, yeah. they, yeah, they did on, so the, on the final straight. Yeah, no. because I towed them up and shut it down within like I'm 50 meters of it hoping that someone else would take the reins and I could latch onto that. But at that point, I was too spent. None of those guys that were sitting on the wheels ended up beating any of the people in the group ahead. I think... None of them did. That's true, but I think that they have a better chance of being fresh the whole race. But the people ahead... That that too is far too too negative. But the people ahead are just... They were... Those... It's Justin Rossi, Pete Morris. It's like... Really, really good. So why bike would you racers. want to sprint against them? But they were dang. <laughs> I, I mean, they, it's, I mean, they, it's I, foolish. Well, maybe I don't know about those people, but maybe one of them is a good sprinter. They're not. Um, okay, but yeah. I'm just saying. In my brain, here's my choices. I could either pull really hard with Chad, get us all in one group, and be tired, yeah. and maybe get dropped out, or rest. Let's see what if Chad can never bring it back and be fresh when we're all in one group. It's like either way, we're in one group. No, I, and I get what you're saying. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. There's that's the thing with bike racing. If you're trying to look for possible avenues of success, they're everywhere. Yeah. So it's not a it's not a matter of trying to find a possible avenue of success. It's it's finding the best one, but, and that's the thing. But out of a group of 15 guys, if we all get back together, they're looking at a top 15. I mean, that's yeah. all that was left, as opposed to sitting back there and and relegating themselves to a, a crack at 12 through 15th. Yeah. I mean, it's just, there are far more opportunities if we had brought that group back together. Totally, So many more options from that point forward that they can't exploit by sitting on and not being lazy, but, but not being risky at all. I wish I was there with you, Chad. Me, Me too. It would have been extremely Lewis, useful. Oh, another yeah. strong hitter here. Oh. Yeah. We could have pulled them back. And we oh, would yeah. have, and we would have done it with probably 10 laps to go instead of two laps to go. Exactly. And you don't have much to do with it at that point, especially when the two strongest resources have been cooked. Yeah. So it's, it's like basically one thing that you can take away from all of this is that 
you're constantly, you're a fluid composite team is in a bike race. Like you're, you're constantly recomposing your team makeup, so to speak, unless you have, you know, true teammates in there. And even then, but you're, you're, you should always be evaluating the resources that you have, and you should always be trying to, you know, weigh out the best avenues for success with that. You change those tactics. They change constantly. Um, it's something that you have to be kind of fluid with and, mm -hmm. Man, yeah, I think that with uh, with crit racing in terms of making brakes stick and really, you know, going hard and like we did, I feel like we had some some tactics that worked out on our end. It's it's such a it's such a tricky game that comes with experience, but man, it has to be one of the most fun forms of bike racing. And it if really people, fun, yeah. if you're, I know that people have a bad, you know, crits have a bad reputation for being super dangerous or other things like that. They don't necessarily have to be. Uh, and I would encourage people to try them out because you can learn so much about bike racing through a criterium mm -hmm. people in general that yeah. it's yeah. just You so want to work helpful. on your pack riding skills. There's not a better place to do it it's than so a criterium. Yeah. So coming up, we have, uh, there's actually a time trial coming up in less than a month mm -hmm. or final time trial before the real time trial. Yes. And then, um, well, is, we're going to do another, uh, criterium soon at the, it's going to be an Omnium where we have a time trial, a road race and a criterium, mm -hmm. and that's not USAC. So we can all race the A's together. Mm -hmm. And so last night, Pete so got, I'm gone. Pete Jones I'm gone no. That. Yeah. <sighs> I'm in Phoenix visiting We family. need you. I know. Ah, is family that important? <laughs> um, <laughs> darn it. I know <sighs> it'll suck. Jonathan's good. I, that um, anyways, uh, Pete got second last night. He was out sprinting at the line. Um, and, uh, by quite a good sprinter. Yes. Yeah. It wasn't a huge gap, but it was a big enough gap, like a bike length. Mm -hmm. Um, anyways, we didn't beat him yet, but really there was only two people in the race and you guys weren't racing together. It was kind of a, uh, a tr two trainer road people in the race. Mm -hmm. Oh, you and Dave. Yeah. He doesn't even yeah. know, right? And, and well, Dave weren't. has a different kit on. And I mean, we worked together with it. I mean, there was one period where I bridged up to Dave, who was solo off the front, and Pete bridged up to us. And I thought, that's it. We're, we're running this. But <laughs> yeah. people shut it down. Again, the, the wind wasn't enough to to favor something like that. I want to just read over the power numbers since we're power-based yeah. because people are always <laughs> interested in that. Of course. 4-5 uh, race. My normalized power was uh, 312, AP 270. Jonathan, for the four or five race, your normalized power was 289 AP 270. Mm -hmm. So right there, that shows you I had about 23 watts higher mm -hmm. in normalized power, meaning I was more spiky. Granted, you're, you know, you're, you're heavier as well. And this is a pan flat course, but still, you know, you're accelerating. Yeah, that mass, I so. accelerated a lot more so. and you were on a break most of that. So I think that's another reason why you were kind of yeah, um, I was, higher average power than. Yeah. I, according to that, I was four, 4.4 watts per kilogram for that race. I think so. Wow. Yeah. That's impressive. So. Um, I did uh, for the three four five race, three four five race, normalized power two eighty nine, so less, and I could definitely feel the four five race. <laughs> um, AP two sixty. What is that total? Thirty minutes and forty minutes. Forty five. Forty five. Forty five. So an hour fifteen yeah. racing. Hour fifteen. Solid. It's good. For so hundred. That's that's a good length. It was like one hundred seventeen uh, training stress for the race. Mm -hmm. um, and then Jonathan was. So I was sorry. Two eighty nine and normalized power in 262. Mm. Uh, so a big drop about another what, 20, yeah, 20 watt drop from the previous race. And then Jonathan was 255 and AP 235. So the difference between those two races where we had the same AP the first race and the second race, I was 30 watts higher than him mm -hmm. um, in the AP, which shows you. And I think that's another, again, because I was doing I was pulling in the wind, I swear. <laughs> um, yeah, we, yeah, yeah. Chad's one, two, three race. He had the most power out of us three for normalized power for that 45 minutes was 323, average power 291. 
Pete. So highly variable. Yep. Uh-huh. Thank you. Well, uh, 105, 1.05. Yeah, it's about pretty, as variable, variable as my race was. It's a criterion. Tire. Yeah, it's, it's, right. it's a crit. Yeah, it's um, variable. Pete, though, normalized power 256, average power 302, mm. which is crazy. So yeah. Pete put out 30 more watts than Chad, although ended up right in the same group at the end. But it, Pete was a. Uh, Pete also weighs more than Chad. Exactly. Oh, by 20 pounds. By 20 pounds. So that's probably a good. Probably a lot. Yeah. So a, probably not far off, like between the two, you yeah. know? So. But he was also. Um, getting a lot more breaks at the beginning. So that could be some of the yeah. acceleration. Yeah, he kept basically tailgunning and sprinting past the field with <laughs> a whole lot of speed. <laughs> so discouraging. And he rolls by, it sounds like a truck. Does it's everyone amazing. yell? Nah. On the left, on nah, the left? We, we, we know it's coming. And those cliff kits are so brightly colored yeah. that you don't even have to look. You just you, you see <laughs> you it hear? in the periphery and you know. Uh. Someone needs camouflage like. <laughs> yeah, uh, right. Uh, yeah, it's like four colored. kits kind of combined. You yeah. can't tell where it is in the field. <laughs> Um, he, he comes by with enough speed, and you know that he's got the horsepower to back it up. That it's very discouraging. I mean, you have oh, to yeah. you have to be oh, yeah. seated a couple wheels back and pretty refreshed to try to cover it. So, uh, why would <clears throat> why would uh, Pete do what you just said, tail gun, and then come by at a high speed? That that's exactly it. Start, no, start from the back, and he he can generate a whole lot of speed, which means he opens up a gap quickly. Discourages you. Yeah. You see somebody go by you at a differential of like, you know, six, seven, eight, nine miles an hour. Yeah, whatever it's it like, is. It's like, oh gosh, like that's yeah, going to be really hard. And then also out. knowing from Pete's reputation and his build, you look at that guy and you know he's not just going to take a 20 meter flyer and sit out in front of us. He's going to grow. He's probably going to hold that speed for quite some time. Mm-hmm. So I have to go faster than that to get to him. And then I have to stay at that to stay with him. Even in his draft is a mm-hmm. super tall order. Um, I just want to make sure this point gets across is Pete was doing that because he can, without doing a huge kick, mm-hmm. he can accelerate. And by the time that he's coming from behind, the time that he passes and people start seeing the field, he's four or five miles per hour faster than everybody else. At least. Or more. <laughs> if he were to do that from second wheel, people have about, you know, they could react within a half a second or a second. Yeah. You want to, you want to watch a rider's level of uh, inexperience. You'll see them break from places like second back or even the front of the field sometimes, or at the bottom of a downhill after everyone's just sailed down the hill and is fully refreshed. (laughs) There are times where you attack and it may actually work and times where you're dooming yourself to something totally pointless. So I kind of attacked off the front after the guy did the hard pull. Was that the right spot in that situation? Or do you think I should have like tail gunned and done something yeah i think that you could have attacked from the back and it would have been now granted we were with uh, tail gun from the field or in the, the group the the tail gun the uh the breakaway you just mean oh, sit yeah. at the back yeah yeah it's not tail, tail gun, gunning right? you're like 50 riders back yeah, just yeah. soaking okay. it up sailing. so in that in that case yeah i mean you could have but since we were dealing with riders that aren't quite on that same experience level it worked out just fine mm-hmm. but if you're with the a's and that sort of thing yeah that stuff doesn't fly you know it doesn't work there <laughs> they'll bring you back in S- state the question again if so, in in the breakaway, um, I at, so someone in front of me, he did a strong pull, uh-huh. and I wanted to attack right then because I knew he was tired. That's a great strategy. I mean, if you know within a group of four or a group of whatever who the strongest person is, and you plan to do something, you want to do it when that rider is at his weakest. So at, you know, fresh off of his pull or her pull, that's and he was the biggest. It's an opportune time. in this case. So even though we didn't know he was the strongest, and I don't think that he was, he was the biggest X factor. I thought he was really strong, so, uh, and, and I was I had his wheel. Yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, if he's a threat and he's hurting you and you know that he's got some punch in there, then that that you kick him when he's down, basically. Yeah, it can work, yeah. But in terms of, of just all-out breakaways, it's very rare that a person rolling off the front versus or attacking off the front, however you do it, versus somebody that attacks from the back. It's too easy to cover. It's very telegraphed. You see it winding up. It's You have to have a heck of a lot of snap to get away off the front. Yeah. And, and two, even then, you've been in the wind for a while. It's not a good yeah. time to try to break. Yeah. And two, this, uh, what I think I did... It's like I did about 500 for 30 seconds. Yeah. So and it wasn't a huge attack, but I I I didn't want to have a uh, I I wanted to dangle. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think for establishing the break, the break it was a much bigger attack. Like when we jumped yeah. to to uh, get into the breakaway, that was a, looking at my power file. The spike is much much higher. Mm-hmm. Um, this is where data analysis is super helpful too, yeah. because you can see. You know, I did a 20-second break versus a 30-second, or I broke at 600 watts versus 800 watts mm-hmm. or whatever, and you can see what happens after that. Yes. Once I get away, sometimes it's out of necessity. You don't you don't get to analyze it. You, you did what you had to do in the moment. But when it's a solo break and you're calling all the shots, you get to decide how long and how hard I break before I try to settle in. Mm-hmm. That's when the analysis is particularly useful. I, so two mistakes I did on the break. One is I was too spiky. I was by myself uh, looking at the power. Why are you so spiky by yourself, right? I don't know. <laughs> I don't probably know. the turns. I mean, you were probably losing speed in the turns and come accelerating out of them. Yeah, you were coasting into the turns when you were in the break. Exactly. Well, still, not in the break, but when I was by myself. The, That's what I mean by, by, yourself. Yourself. by myself, I can take whatever line I want. I can pedal through every turn. Yeah. I, I, I wasn't time trialing. I was... I don't know what I was doing. Well, yeah, but that, I that's been my smarter. point is like by your on your own, you were coasting through the turns and that then you would probably reaccelerate when you don't need to. The other thing in this race is I was getting cooked by the end of the field and looking at my race file now with performance analytics now available on Trainer Road. Mm-hmm. Um, so subtle can, with those plugs. <laughs> I can see that uh, the, the things that were cooking me, the thing that I did over and over again was about 500 watts for like 10 or 15 seconds. Yeah. I think I need to do a couple more workouts on Trainer Road where I look for something that's like that. We have a lot of them, anaerobic, that's yeah. spiky yeah. and repeatable. No, absolutely. And we both suffered from that last yeah. night. I it's mean, I, my, my training has at least included a little bit of high-level high, high level VO2 max work. Yours has been... I've been like two VO2 max work. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. you rode the way that we would expect you to ride, and you rode very strongly. Very, very you, strongly. You right. had a really uh, <laughs> small quiver. There weren't a whole lot of arrows in there. I but mean, you used it well, what you had. I had yeah. tons of arrows, dude. <laughs> hey, you do, but they're all uh, same shape, they I guess. They could be bigger. Yeah, yeah. There's going to be bigger, stronger arrows that yeah. go farther. They more could be varied. varied more arrows. varied. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You've got, you're a predictable rider right now. It's tough to do the, uh, it's tough to train for the time trial. And for crits. Very tough. <laughs> very, they're very different. Time travel was supposed to be next week, man. I was supposed to come back from vacation, get it out of the way, and just focus on criteriums. And now we, I got to figure out how to extend time trial fitness for another month while racing criteriums. But then we have <laughs> we also have Lost and Found, which is a 100-mile cross like dirt gravel race. And then we have Leadville, which is a 100-mile mountain bike race. I feel like both of those races I want to be super light for. We're all over the And have place. great endurance. Yeah, yeah. The crit I want to be kind of like – or the time trial I want to kind of be heavy with high threshold. And the crit I want to be really super punchy. It's like three <laughs> – Got to pick. Got to pick. Yeah. yeah. It's hard. Or just be mediocre in all of them. I think I will be. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, not the worst thing. Let's get into some questions here. Uh, we've we've that was a big discussion on crit tactics, but hopefully people found it really helpful. I just helpful. want to say this I again. Warned you. Jonathan won two races back to back, a four Good. five and a three four five in yeah. fields of like fifty people each. Yeah, and I know a with lot threes of, in it too. I mean, great, yeah, great yeah. job, Jonathan. Well, thank, That's thanks, how too. I got my three upgrade yeah. too. Just yeah. a couple back to back wins and That's sweet. Yeah, I yeah, like you, that. And I have my first two finishes. 
Heck yeah. Top notch, Nick. Good stuff. Thanks, Thanks Chad. <laughs> um, this one's from Steve. He says, I'm on the organizing committee for Velo Sano. Uh, that's a ride that we, we looked it up. It's got 12 to 100 mile options, even a two day option. Uh, he says it's a benefit ride for cancer research at the Cleveland clinic. It's, this is the fifth year for the event. We serve meals, including a rider breakfast, uh, the day of the event, most people don't eat the breakfast. So we end up with a lot of unused food. That would be a shame. He says we discussed uh, trying to serve breakfast this year that is designed to give riders energy and easy on their stomachs. What do you suggest? Can you recommend a meal or a source that we can go to, to help design the perfect breakfast for our event? We hope to have a few thousand riders. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of people. Should I, Chad, why don't you talk about the stuff it should be? And then I'm going to describe the perfect breakfast because I've got it. Okay. <laughs> You're going to describe your perfect breakfast. <laughs> yeah. No, it's yeah, the, it's quick. the, uh, okay. <laughs> got it. Um, so pre-ride, I mean, immediately before race, so we're talking an hour out. Mm -hmm. the, your, your objectives are basically you want to top off your energy supply. If you're deficient in any way, get a little glucose in the bloodstream, whatever. Um, and you want to minimize in-workout muscle protein which or, or muscle degradation, which I think a lot of riders do not consider. Hmm. Um, that's certainly intensity-based, duration-based. Talk a little about Yeah, we should actually cover that really. Is that okay? Uh, I'm going to get to it. Okay, cool. Yep. Yeah. And you want to feel good. So you don't want to put something in your body that makes you feel lethargic, that makes you, you know, causes any, any form of GI distress. So it's got to be something that works for you. Um, obviously carbohydrate is going to be part of that mix and probably simple. You're not going to want to dump a bunch of fiber in there. You're not going to want to put a bunch of car complex carbohydrate in there either. So, uh, but again, intensity dependent, um, mm. protein, like I just said, is a little less obvious. People don't consider the fact that there's actually a fair amount of muscle degradation going on over the course of a ride, um, with, with gentler, lower intensity, steadier state rides, not nearly as much as something like what we did last night. Mm. Criterium like that on and off again, I mean, all out and then easing up has, it has a much greater impact on, um, protein turnover. Mm. Um, and ideally something with a bit of salt mm -hmm. just to bump up your sodium stores a bit so that you retain water a bit more, you know, hydrate better. Yeah. Avoid dairy and fructose. Fructose is super, yeah, super and that's, that's another. So, so dairy, I think most people are on board with that. They know it's going to gum them up. They know it digests slowly. They know they get belches and, 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 uh, just gas and mm -hmm. potentially diarrhea, a lot of, mm -hmm. a lot of undesirable things heading into a long event or any event really. And then fructose, everyone thinks, well, fructose is good. It's fruit sugar. That's that works. Our, our bodies have a very limited uh, capability when it comes to dealing with fructose, mm -hmm. much in line with dealing with alcohol. There are a lot of parallels there. Something <laughs> I would actually like to talk about in a later podcast, <laughs> but the fact is our bodies don't process a whole lot of fructose. I mean, uh, sports dietitians and, uh, Experts in the field recommend topping things out at 50 grams of fructose a day. Mm. On the high end of things, I see most of them come in more around 30 or 25 grams. Mm. Again, our bodies just don't deal with it well. Our, our livers are where it's metabolized. That's that's where it goes. We don't. Uh, the other cells in the body can't use it like they can glucose. Mm. And excess in the liver means fat on the liver, means uh, fat storage. It leads to a number of undesirable effects. Mm. So maybe hold off on the fruit and, and, and fruit don't, don't, don't let me give fruit a bad rap at all, but you know, things that are obvious sources like high fruct fructose corn syrup, cans of Coca-Cola and stuff like that. These are things yeah. that are challenging on your liver and don't digest as quickly as simpler carbohydrates and, and glucose. What about like when we're talking about like the intensity and because I, I noticed yeah. like when it's intense and you have a big bunch of food in your well, stomach. Well, and see, see there's tough. another mistake, another trap people fall into is they think I have, you know, four or five, six hours on the road. I'm going to eat a massive meal. 
Absolutely not. Still make it a slow meal or a small meal. You want something that moves through you rather quickly, and then you're going to nourish on the ride, mm-hmm. especially when it's lower intensity and you have the option of eating, and it's not going to be an all-out sort of slugfest like a criterium or something, even a, a mountain bike race. Yeah. Can I share on that really quick? Something sure. that I realized during our pre-ride of the Segondo with with um, <clears throat> Katarina Nash and Jeff Kabush. I don't know if you realize this, but before, I swear, before they even unclipped, they had a bar in their mouth or they had a cliff block in their mouth or they had a goo, something like that. Like they were so good at eating during the ride. I don't know if you noticed that. I didn't that. notice like, it, but I believe it. They're mm-hmm. so good at it. And I've noticed the same thing with Keegan Swenson, Payson McKelvin, all these guys. Yeah. When they are riding, they are eating and they are drinking. It's a steady stream of, yep. of intake. And it's and they don't eat as massive of meals outside of that. Yeah. Like, you know, before, you know, they're they're breakfast, lunch, dinner isn't crazy big, but what they do is they know that when they're on the bike, they're constantly eating, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's, it's something your muscles have on board, what they're going to have on board going in. You're not going to pack anything more in there on the fly. Active muscle doesn't, doesn't store glycogen. Mm -hmm. So it's basically about utilizing that, but supplementing it with exogenous carbohydrate, you know, food coming into the system, stuff you eat to to keep things topped off as much as you can, you Mm -hmm. know, based on how, how hard you're working, you can only get so much in the system, but you know, over something like that, they they obviously have learned to manage it really well. And to start the refuel process sooner. Totally. Yeah, yes, yeah. sure. And yep. you might not go as low on your glycogen stores if you're getting, if you're eating all these carbs the whole time. Totally. Right. Yeah. Which when you run out of glycogen stores or run low on them, yeah. things get dark. Um, Real dark. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Chad, what would you have as far as like a breakfast? I, I, I have a preference too. So I'm not going to say this is right for everybody, but yeah. I think it's right for a lot of people. And it's definitely right for me is uh, rice with a bit of scrambled egg in it and often enough tortillas depending. So, so pretty simple carbohydrate I mean, flour tortillas. So basically what I've described is a breakfast burrito mm-hmm. and it works well. They actually keep well that you can reheat them later in the day. So in the case that they have a ton of food left over, I think that was something they, they yeah. don't necessarily just have to ditch. Oh, that's a good I idea. think in that situation, I do white rice, right? But the scrambled egg, I would almost do like a scrambled egg bowl with that. Cause you want to make sure too, you, you don't get too much scrambled egg because mm. then it'd be too much fat. Yeah, you too don't much need protein. Much yeah, no, no, the rice and the egg. I mean, I think of it like pork fried rice. There's not a ton of egg in it, yeah, just but a there's little bit, right? Yeah. That's a key mm-hmm. takeaway. Mm-hmm. And then tortillas too. Um, the flour with gluten it's, could it's help some fat. people. And tortillas are kind of high in I fat. That's mm-hmm. why I, I'm a little reluctant on the fat. If it were a high intensity event, I probably would not have tortillas. I would just have a rice and egg bowl. Mm-hmm. But with something of this nature, why not? Why not give that that little rice bowl a little yeah. carrier to put in your jersey pocket? Sure, and, hey. and to slow absorption a bit. <laughs> Here's the meal. We're a race director doing it for like a thousand people. How many gotcha. people was it? Five hundred. A 400? few thousand. A few thousand. Your main your main thing is grits. <clears throat> You're doing huge pots of grits, which are corn based, corn. and they're super carbs. They have a little bit of protein in it. It's like I think it's like thirty for a cup. It's like thirty three grams of protein, or mm-hmm. sorry, thirty three grams of of carbs, like two or three grams of protein, like a half a gram of fat. And then you do- I also have a fair amount of fiber, which is my <clears throat> No, concern. it's very, it's it's like a half a gram of fiber. Huh. It's almost no fiber in grits. Dep- you know, the different type of grits then. Okay. The, you can get you can get grits that are almost no fiber. Okay, cool. Good. And then you have a station where everyone walks their bowls over and they can put salt on it. They can put cinnamon. They can put honey in it. They can put brown sugar. They could do raisins if they want, um, cranberries. You could have like- Sunflower seeds or sliced almonds if people want that, just to like mix it up a little bit. And everyone can make it taste exactly how they want to. Yeah. And the super crazy people 
like me can just do like honey and grits and some salt. And but other, other than, people won't eat like, without other stuff. I feel like all that stuff would encourage overeating. It just sounds like if I put a bunch of honey, a bunch of cinnamon on, a bunch of brown sugar, I'm going to have a bowl and then I'm going to want maybe another bowl and I'm going to go into it <laughs> far, too, I mean, his, far too loaded. His up. problem right now is that most people don't eat any of it and they have a lot of unused food. <laughs> That's um, a good point. Yeah. I don't, I do really want people to eat all the food or do I want to have a successful and, event? And <laughs> part, bowl size. Yeah. So if you get a bowl that's the correct size, you can even tell people if you're really concerned about it, you get one pass through. That's it. Yeah. Right. And you can limit people to whatever. It's not they got one pass and they're going to heap that thing as full as they I know, can but get the bowl it. only gets. They'll just like switch, grits. Jer- switch jerseys with their teammate or their friend for a while and come grits back. when they're cooked are like soup, right? Yeah. Um, so you can't, you can't heap it too. There's a limit to uh, how okay. much you can do. So they're pretty viscous or uh, non viscous. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So it's not like you can put like more water in a cup, right? Okay. There's a limit to gotcha. how much you can do. Right. But for in terms of cost, the things that are not the grits store really well, the totally. raisins and brown sugar. But then the grits too are so cheap and it's really easy to make huge pots of it, mm-hmm. right? And it's just water and then the instant grit stuff. Yeah. It'd be, it, they digest super fast too. And it's almost mm-hmm. all vegan there. I mean, honey isn't vegan, but like you'd be able to, if, if people like, and I'm you thinking can make a, few it thousand, vegan. a few thousand people, somebody can easily make that vegan. They can deal with different gluten dietary free. things that they would want to yeah. avoid really easily. I better make sure grits are gluten-free, but I'm almost yeah. positive. And we should probably talk about something we've mentioned a number of times, but these are all things you try beforehand. And it's not like you can totally try everything a race promoter might throw at you on race day. So yeah. sometimes you're going to be subject to, to surprises, but you can kind of, if, if there are options, nail it down to, you know, you know, look at the table and say, I know that works for me. I know that doesn't. So it, yeah. it's helpful, but try this stuff in preparation for your event. And it's not to ensure that come race day, you're not going to have some form of gastric distress because there are I mean, different hormones firing at, yeah. occurring at different rates on race day. When we yeah. get wound up in anticipation of a race, you may find something that you've eaten every day in training that has never caused any issue at all. For some reason, causes an issue on race day. Yep. So two more. Um, I just looked it up. Some brands of grits are uh, gluten-free and some aren't, mm. even though there's no um, things in it that would have gluten. They're just not considered it. Gluten-free metabolizes a little more quickly, too. So that. Just something to weigh into that, it. That's what you want here. Depending. Yeah. Yeah. Two, as a race director, just on Chad's point now, I would say ahead of time, on race morning, we're going to have grits and these things. Yeah. Sure. Like, say the brand, because then if I'm Ironman athletes do it, marathons totally. do it, they yeah. know what's on the course so they can train that way. Absolutely. When we, uh, I was in Bentonville, Arkansas with Todd Sadow, the guy that runs Epic Rides. Mm-hmm. And when we pre rode the course, he was still laying out much of the course. And we actually had some of the food sponsors with us. Mm-hmm. Uh, V8 was one of them and some others. And he was like, I think we're going to have the aid station here. We'll have V8. We'll have this. And he was naming off the nutrition that they would have. I think that's really good idea for race promoters is to, to know beforehand what you'll have at the aid stations and then communicate that throughout because it's a huge deal. Like I hate it when I show up to an aid station and like, we carry so many sweets with us a lot of the time and I want something savory and they don't have anything savory or they just have orange slices. Oh, that's you know? a <laughs> distinct responsibility of any yeah. race promoter is to tell you what the aid stations are going to be composed of. I hate it when it's like a sponsor is goo or a cliff bar. And then the first like other cliff shots here. No, those are in aid station seven. Yeah. I'm like, what? <laughs> I would have yeah, like exactly. right here is just uh it's just drink and something else. And it doesn't say just a water station on it. And, yep. or here is just uh, apples. Something yeah. like you don't want to eat <laughs> yeah, and yeah. Uh, in water. Yeah. Uh, it's tell us and please, or have them all. The best is have them all be the Consistent. same and all fully stocked. Sure. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. I and think that's two as a sponsor, 
they want you to tell everyone, like if Cliff Bar is sponsoring it, oh, yeah. tell me six months ahead of time what's going to be at each station so I can start buying these products. Totally. Trying them. them out, seeing how they work. I remember, yeah. I remember Liz Lyles somewhat begrudgingly drinking Gatorade when she was training all the time. She's like, oh, this is what they'll have on race day. Yeah. Got to get used to it. You know what yeah. I mean? It wasn't mm-hmm. like her drink of choice, but. That happened so much with triathletes. Um, they had the Gatorade high endurance, which was the higher salt version. Yeah. It all buy that because that's, what's going to be on course. And you got to get used to that because for some people it messes with your stomach. So they tried oh. to like acclimate to it. Yeah. Or is that no acclimatize? I don't know what the, that's the wrong word. You know what I mean? Yeah. Get used, get used, to, used to, it. to it. Hey, thanks Jonathan. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's close out with Tom's question here. If you are with us on the live stream, by the way, stick with us. We'll answer some of the questions you've submitted. Uh, he says, I'm 25 years old and based in the UK and have been cycling competitively, competitively for about a decade. I do a bit of road racing and time trialing, but my, my primary focus is hill climbs at the end of the season. This UK hill climb or TT hill climb stuff sounds fun. It's always in so October, does, right? Yeah. It's the so month of October. Fun. I like uh, the four to five minute. Well, I'm giving it, we should get that yeah. here. We should do it. It gets too dark too early. Maybe on the weekends. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Mornings. I think it's always in the morning when I see it on the weekend. So. Uh, he says hill climbs are popular in the UK are typically around four to five minutes in length and are pretty much a pure VO two max effort. Ding, ding. Yes. The bread and butter sessions to prepare for these events will obviously be some sort of VO two max, uh, hill repeat style workouts around twice a week, depending on how well I'm recovering from the previous week. My question is regarding what to do between these VO two max sessions. Do I keep it all at zone one to maximize recovery or should I keep up the base miles? So I assume when he says base miles, he's talking about more like zone two stuff or tipping up, you know, around there. Uh, he says, and take a more 80, 20 approach base miles would maintain aerobic fitness and would help keep my weight down, but they could harm the quality of the VO two efforts. Not likely. Cool. So let's get into that. I guess, Chad, these four to five minute hard efforts. So basically if you don't live in the UK and you're thinking about this, but you have downloaded the app Strava, you do this all the time anyway, because yeah. you chase for <laughs> five minute segments. That's, so this applies true. to a lot of, that's folks. like most segments too, right? Oh yeah. Not like, many like hour long segments. N- no, no. Yeah. yeah you're, you're like one of the only people I know that targets those types of segments. That's because they're, they're not as competitive. <laughs> <laughs> There's only three people up there. I'm pretty sure yeah. I can beat them. <laughs> that's clever. So uh, what should they do, Chad, in this, in this type of scenario? Um, so what, what were the assumptions we were going to make? I know yeah, I mean, it's four to five minute efforts. It, it's So we know that, but, but how much time do you have to train first off? So anytime I see polarized, I, I feel like telling people you got to have a lot of time to train. Mm-hmm. You can only polarize your training if you're going to be able to, that, that 80% it has to be a lot of time. You yes. have to accumulate a lot of base. So if you're a time crunch rider and you're going to do 20% of your VO2 max work on a six hour weekly budget, you're not going to, it's not going to pan out. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're going to assume he's got a fair amount of time to train. Yeah, yeah. So that he can- Truly 10 hours, polarized training. Sure. Fine. 10. But, um, the, you're, you're basically training for what would be a track pursuit, right? Four to five mm-hmm. minute full on VO two max. So big anaerobic contribution, but also a really big aerobic capacity. Yep. Um, it's, it's a very specific effort. So in, in, because of that, you can spend your base period targeting what we'd normally target, which is just lifting your, your lactate threshold via sweet spot work and mm-hmm. is, is our preference. Mm-hmm. And then maybe dabble a bit in VO2 max work with the shorter efforts. When you move into a little closer into your build phase and you start doing obviously some more VO2 max work, where it gets, you have quite a lot of options depending on your time budget is when you get into that Specialty phase, you can do your, your two VO2 max workouts a week and, you know, do like a Tuesday, maybe Thursday or Friday, depending on how long it takes you to recover. And then just really 
if you flog yourself for an hour at a time, hour and a half doing VO2 max work, you're not going to have a whole lot of energy to do much but race by base, ride base miles. Mm. That's all good and fine. There's a different approach. <clears throat> And you can, especially when you're specializing and, and trying to get really specific to your event, is do many short workouts over the course of a week and intersperse it with two-a-days or just shorter recovery rides. Mm-hmm. Um, when, when you do just a couple, that leaves room for that long ride on the, on the weekend, maybe a long base builder mm-hmm. where you're still targeting aerobic base. You're just doing it from the lighter side of things, lighter, longer side of things. Um, but when you, but if you don't want to do that, if you don't want to, you know, beat yourself up for those two events and then just do a whole bunch of base mileage riding, you can do like thirty minute workouts where you do two or three VO two max intervals. And in your case, I would target those four and five minute durations to familiarize myself with them and to lift that particular power duration, and then spend the rest of your time. Maybe you know you do those in the morning and then you do an easy recovery ride in the afternoon or, or the evening. And then the next day, you can do it again. You can yeah. do quite a lot of those shorter, highly intense workouts and build a, a really good specific type of fitness while spending the rest of your time accumulating low intensity aerobic mileage. Yeah. Another thing to think that we um, are assuming here is that someone's already had like a full season mm-hmm. because if you do the VO2 max approach, like there's a limit for rewards, right? You can't just do it for yeah, year round. Your, your body is going to stall at some point. I mean, the, your adaptive resources reach a point where they can't adapt anymore. Mm. So, so you can't just do, can't just heap VO2 max work on VO2 max work and expect a, a continuous improvement in, mm-hmm. in, in your performance. Yeah. So at some point you reach a wall where, where the damage it's doing to your body is kind of even with the, the stimulus, the adaptive stimulus that you're pushing on it. I've read that that's like six to eight weeks kind of. It, it depends on the athlete, but mm-hmm. yeah, it's pretty typical. Yeah. And that, that said, that's not to say that, you know, just using VO2 max work or doing a VO2 max workout, you know, a long way yeah. before your this event is, like is a, a bad lot. idea. Yeah. We're mm-hmm. talking about like a really concentrated approach. Personally, you'll even see like on our base build and specialty VO2 plans. max work has a place year round as yeah. far as I'm concerned, mm-hmm. yeah. except in transition when you're resting. Yeah. I mean, in, in the early parts of it, they're, they're short, short intervals with, you know, probably equally long recoveries. I'm a big fan of 30-30s because you can do a ton of them mm-hmm. and they don't take this massive toll on you, but they prep you for those longer efforts. Mm-hmm. And, and and then you move into, depending on which direction you're going to take things, longer efforts. Uh, maybe you get into five-minute jobbers down at 102% or you just do more of those high-end 30% with shorter recoveries. You know, it, it all depends how you're going to shape your... Uh, your desired performance. Yeah, the and the, I, when it gets really concentrated, you know, that's when we're talking about where that point of diminishing returns comes in. You know, where yeah. it's you um, can only do anything for so long before your body just fails yeah. to adapt to it. I mean, you can only keep so much stress, even base mileage. You know, if you get yeah. up to a point where you're doing five and six hour <laughs> rides, typically, I mean, then moving up to seven and out eight hour rides isn't really practical for a lot of people. And what sort of yield is it going to actually? This is this you'll is, be super good at ba- basically riding with a broom wagon at that point. <laughs> if that's I'm going to say something you have. super inflammatory. <laughs> okay. 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 But this is how I feel um, if you CrossFitters who do uh, endurance stuff. Too much intensity. Because they do just, it's almost all VO2 max, and they get this amazing Initial increase. boom, yeah. boom. Yeah. And then it kind of plateaus, and they never get to get any faster than that. And you kind of have to, like, rebuild your they fitness. They stall. Exactly. They yeah. stall or they get injured. And um, you think that because you had that initial thing mm-hmm. was so great, then you think, oh, I just got to do some more. Yeah. I just got to do some more. Just got to ride that wave. Yeah, exactly. You <laughs> do more and more, but it doesn't work. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> initially, especially CrossFit had the, the reputation of just beating you up every time you worked out. 
And for whatever reason, people didn't like the day on day off. They would just want to go every day. And I, I fell into that trap because it's actually really quite fun. Yeah, so yeah. you want to do it every day, but your body is not going to let you do that every day. So you have to build stress or you have to build recovery into it. And the better uh, CrossFit gym box owners do that these days, um, it's, it's, it's come past the point, And I think they've recognized that people start to break down. Rhabdomyolosis was not an uncommon term to hear in a CrossFit box. <laughs> that is completely wrong. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It shouldn't be that way at all. And what's that? Cause I'm sure. Rhabdo. Just like so, total, total it. cellular breakdown. I mean, your body, I, I need to review it. It's, it's, uh, the extreme end of things when it, it's, it's like, uh, overtraining syndrome times five. And like the protein gets in your, uh, bloodstream or your liver and yeah, it can, be very, of can actually kill you. It can kill oh yeah. You. It's, yeah. it's horrendous. Pretty gnarly. And funny, it wasn't a really a common term until CrossFit came around. And that's that's it, exactly yeah. my point. Yeah. yeah. And then it became rhabdo. It should not be part cool. of your common <laughs> but it's, vocabulary. It's almost like a, uh, badge of honor. They have shirts that say it. Yeah. That's like, yeah, can you guys cyclists saying shirts that's like overtraining syndrome. Yeah. Yeah, With an exclamation that's point. That's awesome. Chasing that OTS. Yeah. Chasing OTS, right? You're not trying unless you're OTS. Oh, that would be so funny. Yeah. Uh, Sorry, CrossFitters. I think we're, yeah, I think we're too- You look better than me. True story. And and CrossFit can be done really smartly. It can be. Be smart about it. I mean, watch watch all the guys in the CrossFit games. It can be done really smartly. Yeah, so VO2 max work um, employed intelligently can be done year-round to great benefit. And in a concentrated manner, you can see a lot of gains as you're coming into something like this. Remember that like with this sort of work too, and this is something that you've always hit home, Chad, when you're trying to really focus on your ability to- your power at VO2 max and increasing that. It's not necessarily about repeatability. And in this case, since you're just doing one time yeah, trial, yeah. you don't really care you're about your ability to, to punch again. Yep, yep. You're a one trick pony. Like make sure yep, you just have that exactly. thing really strong. You know? Yeah. So in this case, then would it be a lot of um, the 30 on 30 offs, but also some workouts that are kind of like exactly four to five minutes in length, maybe build it up. For Absolutely. Two. Once he's in specialty, I, I don't know that I would have him do much else than that. The short workouts would be two or three of those. If you had, only wanted to do twice a week longer workouts, it'd be five or six of those. Mm-hmm. They're really challenging and then probably a lot of rest between intervals. Mm-hmm. So he's um, fresh coming in each one. Yeah, completely. I mean, th- there's no reason for him to train repeatability if he's going to go out there, do it one time and call it a day. Yeah. yeah. And the point of, I believe, Chad bringing up the 30 on 30 off thing is because you can get in so much quality work at VO2 max or something like mm-hmm. that, right? Yeah. So, it's a really low toll way of accumulating time at a high percentage of your VO2 max. But it makes your train road workout look super brutal. It when does. It gets to Strava. Kudos all day. Right? Yeah. It looks like, <laughs> oh my, how did you do that? But really? They look pretty mean, but I'm not, I'm not going to pretend they're easy. Yeah. They're, they're not easy, they're but tough. they're not as hard as I think. 30 30s. I'll tell you 30 30s. I get to a point where I feel like I could do those all day. It, it, right. it becomes a time constraint. Right. You can do so many 30 minute repeats at, you know, uh, 30 second, yeah, 30 second repeats <laughs> with 30 seconds Coach of recovery. I mean, that one-to-one rest recovery ratio when, when they're that short, I mean, you get up to three minutes and that one-to-one doesn't, doesn't allow you to go as far, but 30 seconds on at a time, you can do so many of those things. Yeah. The, some of the workers I'm thinking of, they're blocks of 20 minutes of that. Gendarm, all the versions of Gendarm. I, I, so you're stronger than me, but at the end of those, like the three or four at the end, I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm ready for the rest. Yeah. I do not feel like I can do them forever. It depends. I mean, when you get down to the 20 second and 10 second recoveries, I'm yearning for the end of those sets. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's a good point. Okay, everybody, thanks for joining us on this episode of the Ask a Cycling Coach podcast. If you're with us on the live stream, stick with us. We'll answer the questions that you've sent in throughout this podcast. And we will be talking to you next week. I believe that we may be actually coming to you on Friday of next week. Uh, We'll let you know um, beforehand. And uh, we'll take it from there. So thanks, everybody. Submit those questions at trainerroad.com slash podcast. We'll talk to you all next week. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye.